0: everyone, and welcome to another episode of MVG Rants. I'm Tannen Grace, and as always, i joined by Ross Merriam.
1: Ross, how are you doing today, buddy? Um, I gotta say, not great, Tannen. Are you okay? You know the... No, it's nothing serious. Okay. But do you know how when you're a fan, and everything is going really well, and, you know, uh, you know, the team's winning, and you're on cloud nine, a single loss just undoes it all, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Like, the, literally, the, just the, like... The slightest the slightest sign of trouble
1: yeah. yeah and it's chicken little the sky is falling that's what my sunday was tannon
0: you sound like a magic player
1: yeah the jazz were had won 11 straight games right they had they were winning by an average of 60
0: 11 is more wins than most teams in the league right now but anyway go ahead yeah
1: they were winning by an average of, i think it's 16.6 points per game i think they had a 20 plus point lead in seven of the 11 games I think they had a 17-point lead in 10 of the 11 games. They won in double digits in 10 of the 11 games. And over those that stretch, they trailed in the fourth quarter by a total of 57 seconds. And it was the first 57 seconds where they trailed by one to the Knicks. They scored a bucket with 11.03 on the clock and then never trailed again. But then Sunday, the fucking Denver Nuggets, you gotta be fucking kidding me, just... That team's really good. <laughs> were electric from three they were eight from eight in the first quarter literally perfect they gave you a
0: problem with that last year during the play they gave you a problem with that in the playoffs last year as well
1: yeah this is not like they're a good th- they, well actually last year in the regular season i think they were about 35 percent from three which is below average this year they're about 37 percent, which is above average average is about 36 uh but they're like you know pretty close to average but, uh, but against utah they just can't fucking miss they went eight for eight in the first quarter seven for nine in the second quarter. Do you know how many times a team has made 15 threes in seventeen attempts in a half a basketball? One Not, Sunday. Yeah. That's yeah. the only time.
0: <laughs> well, good. I'm glad to have it happened against the Jazz. I'm glad you got to see that record, Ross. Think about it that way. Think about how blessed you are. You got to actually see a record. You know, something Fuck that, never that. before in the NBA.
1: <laughs> oh God, just I hate them so much, so much, Tandon. Stupid fucking Denver Nuggets can't miss a goddamn fucking shot ever.
0: You know it's gonna be great. You're gonna play them in the playoffs again this year, and you're gonna win a series against them. And you're gonna be super, super happy. They're gonna yeah. finally figure out whatever it is because, like, apparently something does not click on the Utah JS side versus the Denver well,
1: Nuggets. Th- to be fair, Utah is one of the or Denver is one of the eleven teams Utah beat during the winning streak. It's it's the one game that was in single digits. That was, it was they won by four or six points, something like that. Um, so it was the one close game in in that stretch, um, and. Uh, for the most part, it is Nikola Jokic being unguardable. He's just unbelievable. Honest, like I, I don't think there's a team in the league that can contain him.
0: You know, it's pretty funny. Like, um, he actually came out of the quarantine looking pretty good. Like, I haven't seen him in like you know like lately or whatever. But like, he looked like he had you know dropped a little bit of that excess body weight that he had. You know, for for, for an athlete, for for professional yeah, yeah. athlete, kind of like he didn't look like the, one. You know what I mean? The the Jokic baby
1: fat has, uh was well known yeah. for several years.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's it's interesting to see because it, it, he's one of those guys that gave hope to all regular-bodied types, <laughs> well, except for the fact that he's
1: seven one. You know, yeah, <laughs> is he that's... actually seven one? I thought he was a little shorter yeah. than that. No, he's I he's, he's like, tall. I thought
0: he was like six ten or something. But yeah, no, like, okay,
1: he's sure. he's he is tall as shit. That's that's the other thing I love when people talk about Joe Ingles is like looking like a math teacher. It's like, well, except he's six eight. You know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that means that he's just a giant.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I understand he has a goofy face, but he's six eight. And there's not a lot of people in the world that are six eight or taller.
0: I don't know why you made me think about this, but you made me think about this funny story that uh, William Huey Jensen told me once. Uh, Huey, very tall human being. That, that's where this came from. Very, very tall human being. And then this is a magic podcast, so magic stories are funny. So Huey telling me about the first time he'd ever like gone to Japan or whatever for a uh, for a magic tournament. I think it was one of the first times, so whatever. He's in Japan playing a magic tournament, right? and you know they get there early cuz you know hey it's, it's it's japan i'm gonna i'm gonna go like if i ever got a free trip to japan i'm going early you know what i mean i'm probably staying late too like i want to i want to see the sights go around this amazing country kind of thing you know so anyway he said one of the days he's like going through uh, like a museum or something right like some some cool thing they're going around looking at it. and there's a group of school children there and he's like they they probably were like first grade kindergarten you know he's like they're young right and he said he's like coming out of the restroom and he almost just tramples one of them, right? You no, know, because it's, it's real hard for him to see one of these kids. They're, you know, a third of his size, you know? And he said he almost knocks him over and he, like, turns around because he hears this giggling and all the kids are just looking up at him, like, wide eyed in awe. And one of them just goes, Godzilla, <laughs> when he walks by. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that story just stuck with me because he was like, it, it, like, I don't know if the kid said it like, reverently like i tell the joke like it's if he's like oh god it's godzilla or whatever or like if he's scared or what but it's just it's so funny to think of huey just gentle giant walking through like almost just, just i don't know if you can hear my dog right now my dog is laughing <laughs> yeah. at the story too and um so anyway it's, it's just a funny story that stuck with me right when you said it
1: i i'm surprised that huey not been given the nickname godzilla if he's told that story to any number of Magic players, I would wouldn't be able to call him anything else. I I have to say, Tannen, though, there's there's one bright side from the game on Sunday, and it's that I think Bojan Bogdanovich is back to his his normal self. He said two good games in a row, in particular, like his shooting has been fine most uh you know most of the year, but it's been finishing inside you know ten feet and closer rim finishing, and they'll like floater range you know short mid range. And he looked a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident in that area of the court. And I think he made, you know, five or six of them over the course of the game. He's put up 61 points over the last two games. I think Bojan might be back. So that's good. But I have no fucking yeah, clue was really how Utah's going to guard so Denver. Far this year. His, his surgery is more complicated and the recovery is more complicated than like the, I think anybody really knew. Because it's a rare, like not many people have had this kind of surgery, and I think his recovery was impacted by the pandemic. Like he's not able to just you know go like go in and do all the normal things. He's got to be more isolated about it and it probably slowed the recovery process as well. So you know it's just going to be a matter of, of you know that coming back and I think he's, he's mostly there. So you know it's only one game. Jazz are still great. They still have the best point differential um, in non-garbage time in the NBA. They have the second best record now because the fucking Clippers can't fucking lose because they figured out how to play defense. This is the other tilting thing, is like I think the Jazz might be the third best team in the NBA, but the other the first and second best teams are both in the West. Yeah, you know, like, they're gonna
0: have to go through the Lakers yeah. and the Clippers. And, and like, the yeah. and
1: the fourth best team in the league might be Denver, also in the West. Like I think all four of those teams might be better than the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Nets. The Nets, mm-hmm. it really just depends on whether they can figure out how to play any defense at all, because right now they can't it? They
0: literally can't. They're averaging like one hundred and forty points a game given si, up since
1: the trade. Their offensive rating would be the best ever put up by an NBA team in history, and their defensive rating would be the worst ever put up by an NBA team in history. So they literally are best ever, worst ever on offensive defense. And I assume they'll they'll you know make a trade, get a buyout guy, like they'll figure something out. Um, but until that happens, like I just don't think they're going to contend. But we'll we'll see. the The Jazz start a pretty tough stretch, though they they have. Uh, Detroit on Tuesday, who sucks. Uh, But after that, there's like five or six games in a row that are pretty tough. It's like Milwaukee Clippers, uh, you know, Philly twice, I think. They're one of those teams are playing twice. There's a decent number on the road. So this will be a a nice stretch. uh, And they don't really have to like worry about the streak and and that nonsense, which is kind of nice. Hopefully they can just start another one. But I fucking hate the Denver Nuggets. I just want them to miss a fucking shot. So we actually have a lot
0: of cool stuff to talk about with Magic tonight. Uh, Ross, I know that you and I have been very excited for the last few weeks' episodes, and now we're kind of seeing like the fruits of the labor of everybody's brainchilds coming out of that time, you and I talking about what cards that were good, because we had some challenges over the weekend where uh, the new set actually got played in a bunch of these in these formats, and you and I kind of wanted to start with the Eternal formats and how it's impacted them, or you know the older formats as you like to call it. And I gotta say this, it kind of centers around just a few things, right? Like we see a lot of decks really trying to abuse Valky, because of the way it works with you know Cascade and a couple other things, where yeah you can choose Valkyrie, but you'll get Tibalt, um, and then we're seeing uh, Tibalt's trickery. I'm gonna let you elaborate on this. But Tibalt's trickery kind of mess up Modern quite a bit and a few other things going on here. And then um, a surprise enchantment. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you kind of move into that because I know you've been looking into this quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Now I'm just excited to look at relevant tournament data. You know, it feels like I've been you know. It's, it it's feels been a like lot. forever. Yeah, really. You yeah. know, most of December and really December, January, we just haven't had relevant tournaments. And December everything was stale, and then January was all preview season, so all lame duck formats. Uh, and now we finally start to, you know, start getting to see how uh, how call time is coming into things. And it, you're right. Like the the older formats don't have a ton of impact, which I'm actually kind of thankful for. You know, this is a sign that we've pared back the the power level of the set. You know, from that height that we had between, you know, War of the Spark and Throne of Eldraine. And I guess, uh, and between, really sort of between that and Ikoria, I would say. Um, You know, a a full, little over a year of sets, really. And I think we're finally paired back into a pretty reasonable level. This is kind of my expectation of uh, of a a new set impacting Modern and Pioneer. You know, a couple new cards come in, you know, might bolster an archetype or form a new archetype but not like wholesale huge impact to the way that Companions and Uro and Field of the Dead all did to these older formats, really like fundamentally reshaping them. Um, But let's, let's start with modern and the big story from the weekend, as you mentioned is Tybalt's trickery. This is the card that is spawning a completely new archetype. For those people who don't know, you can play any of the three mana cascade cards the same way they play with like living end and, you know, hit Tybalt's trickery off the cascade trigger And then when you cast Tybalt's Trickery, you can target the Cascade spell that you cast, because that's still on the stack, because the Cascade trigger is on the top. So the Tybalt's Trickery resolves targeting the original Cascade card, which you don't care about at all. You mill, you know, one, two, or three cards at random, and then hopefully you hit some big spell. Normally, you know, I've been really skeptical of decks like this, because, you know, when you're this all-in, I want to be guaranteed that my combo is going to work. And the initialists that we saw floating around during previous season were built that way. I know Dom Harvey wrote an article for SCG exploring Tybalt's Trickery, and his list was like 50-something lands, and four violent outbursts, you know, you can play ardently if you want. I think he just had outbursts in his list, like three Tybalt's Trickery, or one Tybalt's Trickery, and three Emrakles, so that you would just mulligan super aggressively to find the Cascade spell, cast it, and get an Emrakle, right? That list is so all in that it just can't beat a single piece of interaction, right? You know, especially like any sort of counterspell, force of negation, though violent outburst being instant speed is really nice because if you're on the play, you could upkeep the violent outburst on their turn when they only have two mana and get around force of negation that way. Uh, But that list was just too, uh, you know, too vulnerable to disruption. The list that we're seeing now and that did okay over the weekend, you know, it wasn't you know, they didn't dominate. You know, you, you saw, I don't think any of them made the top eight. There's a couple around the top 16s and top 32s. But we're currently seeing a lot of it in leagues. And there's probably some more room to improve. And the lists we're seeing now are just really dense with big cards. You know, so it's usually you see eight cascade cards, vi- ardently and violent outburst. Uh, you don't really want to play Demonic Dread because you need that one you need to have a creature in play. Um, and if you have to target, yeah. Yeah, if you don't have out target it, it's bad. So they're playing like a, you know, Rainbow Land, Mana Base, you know, City of Brass, Mana Confluence, Gemstone Mine, things like that. Uh, but when you go with this plan, you can play some Acceleration. So Simian Spirit Guide uh, isn't going to interrupt your Cascades. It can interrupt your Tibalt Trickery. So you have a fail rate now. If you hit something like, you know, Simian Spirit Guide, uh, you know, you're pretty dead. But if you hit, you know... Uh, any of the big spells you are usually in good shape and they're playing omniscience a bunch of giant eldrazi and brilliant ultimatum where you just reveal the top five they factor split into two piles you get to cast one of the piles for free so if you hit brilliant ultimatum you're probably hitting something big off of it or another ultimatum right uh and you just like you sort of like um hypergenesis you know eureka a bunch of big idiots in play because you're always casting them right uh you know brilliant ultimatum cast the cards Tibble's Trickery casts the cards, and Omniscience lets you cast them from your hand if you've drawn them. You're gonna get the triggers, so you're playing the old Eldrazi. They're playing, you know, Embercle the Aeon's Torn, Causelike Butcher of Truth, and Ulamog the Infinite Gyre. Uh, and you know, you just do this on turn three. Now, obvi- you know, still like no real way to get around interaction. I see the sideboard. of One of the lists has like Chancellor of the Annex and Mindbreak Trap. And those can help a little bit, uh, but you're mainly like if your opponent has Force Negation, you're either trying to do that trick with Violent Outburst or you're just trying to draw multiple Cascade cards. And, uh, you know, honestly, like, I saw Spike, uh, Spiring Spike stream today, and he was losing to this deck with a Force of Negation deck, four Force of Negation main. His opponent would just, like Mulligan, have a hand with two of the, you know, Cascade cards. And, you know, it would beat one Force of Negation that way. Uh, I'm not sold that this deck is, like, that good. I think you're going to see some, you know, reaction to it. You already see a lot of humans in these de- results. This list basically can't beat Meddling Mage, right? Just turn to Meddling Mage, you're dead unless they have turn Thalia two is
0: pretty damn good against them too.
1: Yeah. Thalia also great. So like humans is probably an awful matchup. You'll, you'll see the metagame adapt to it a little bit. I think this is going to be a deck that people complain about for two weeks and then kind of disappears. Um, and if it, do, but the, but if it doesn't disappear, if people like fi- if you know, a list is found that is really resilient, it probably just gets banned because it, it's, you know, just turn three ridiculous shit. Like turn three winning the game.
0: Yeah, and it, it kind of makes sense to see what decks really rose to the top and what decks, uh, you know. I'll, I see a lot of the people that I saw the people talking about on Twitter that won and did really well the, this weekend. A lot of them did it with uh, Death Shadow. And this this makes sense that this is the deck you want because it has Inquisition of Causal like, Thought Seize, and then a very, very fast clock when you're not interacted with. When your opponent's like not packed exiling you, they're not Thought Seizing you back, they're not doing anything. When you can just like. Take every liberty you want with your own life total. You just pretty much get to goldfish them with this deck. If you have just like you said, you only really need like that one piece of interaction to kind of make it to make it happen as quickly as possible. We're seeing a version with even Termagant winning, you know, uh, like even the green, uh, and it, you know we've seen just just red black for a while. We've uh, been seeing the you know a, a version with like white in it uh, that did really well this week. We're seeing Death Shadow with Croxa Tide Hollow Scholar is a big one, you know, just more hand interaction because. Here's the thing. Think about Tide Uh Tide Hollow Skull. It's one of the best discard spells of all time printed, right? Like it just gets to look at your opponent's hand, take a card, but it also is pr- staple to a 2-2 body for two mana. That's a, that's absurd. The problem is it's, it's super fragile, right? It, it dies to every removal spell in Modern, but when you're playing against a deck like this this Violent Outburst, you know, like Emrakul cool deck, they don't have a way to kill a 2-2. You know, they don't have a shock. So this thing just is, is an absurd interaction piece plus clock versus them. We're seeing Lingering Souls making a comeback. I haven't seen that one in a long time, but it kind of makes sense.
1: Of- the, the, the Rise of Shadow, I agree, makes a lot of sense. And Lingering Souls is, I think, a very good way to get an edge in the shadow mirrors. The big creatures themselves just died of Fatal Pushes and other removal, but the the Lingering Souls really just you know let you grind well. And if you notice, if you go to the, the first Modern Challenge, the one that on the 30th, there's a the third place list is Mardu Shadow, but it's a name that you'll probably recognize. Uh, Jabberwocky.
0: Uh, that, I'm, re- I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Jabberwocky one. Yeah, I remember him talking about the deck list. Yeah, yeah.
1: So this is no- normally not Jabberwocky style. He's you know he's Jund guy. Uh, so and this is you know more aggressive than he usually plays. So when I saw that. I thought, well, that's that's a pretty strong endorsement because this is not something that that he usually plays. Uh, you know, it's a Lyrus Companion deck, which is nice. So I think it, you know, this is a really nice next-level deck for this first week of the metagame where everybody's talking about Tybalt's Trickery, so you need to play an, a deck that's good against linear decks. You know, people are playing Humans, people are playing Shadow. This is a Shadow variant, so you're still going to get that edge. Maybe probably not as advantaged in those matchups as, you know, Junder Rakdos, though Title of Scholar definitely helps. But like, like you know, lingering Souls is not good in a matchup where speed is really important. But you're also going to have a significant advantage in the shadow mirrors. You're going to be pretty good against uh, against humans if so much removal. He's playing four push, four bolt, two K command in the main deck. Has you know, engineer explosives in the sideboard historically one of the best cards against humans because it gets around the Thalia attacks. Um, and then, you know, the, the boils for the, the blue soup deck. So this seemed like a great call for this weekend. I think we're going to see the metagame pretty rapidly evolve if the, the trickery deck is contained, and I expect that it will be. I know we're seeing a lot of it now. Everybody's, you know, just talking about how broken it is. But if you think about the way modern has been for the last, you know, 10 years, really, since its inception, you know, the, there have been really powerful linear decks that don't really, sh- like, that are around, but they don't show up that well. I think the the one that was around for many years was Gorda's Vengeance decks. And those decks are kill you on turn two. But they weren't particularly good, because that, like, if you wanted to beat them, you could. And they, you know, had a pretty high fail rate. Now, you know, this, I think this deck, the Trickery deck, has a pretty low fail rate because of the London Mulligan. And I think that helps it quite a bit. But it is very easy to disrupt. We're already seeing decks do it pretty effectively. Um, and, and we're only going to, you know, continue to see that until they fall away so still you know interesting if you like you know wonky linear decks which i do um but i don't think it's one that's you know long for this world
0: i i gotta wholeheartedly agree it's one of the things uh you, you know it's a flash in the pan i think it's the phrase that we like to use a lot for, for for these kind of decks um we'll see it a lot in standard you know we might even talk about that when we talk about standard later decks that like look really good right now or do it really well right now, but do they have the longevity to stay around? And that's the question that's going to need to be answered. And I, I don't know if this one has it or not. And then, like you said, if it does, then that's a problem that might need to be addressed somewhere else where maybe Dibble's trickery might need to be taken out of the format or something like that. So, um,
1: yeah. Uh, other, other big, uh, you know, innovation we've seen from, call time this weekend is one that, you know, I completely missed. Uh, and, uh, that's invasion of the giants card that I have not been very impressed with in Standard. I think Glimpse of the Cosmos has consistently been better, so it's a card I kind of wrote off, but Primeval Titan is a giant. <laughs> An Invasion of the Giants, the way it's templated, that third chapter that makes your next giant cost you less happens on turn four, if you cast it on turn two. On curve, huh, huh. six minus two wonder, equals four. Yeah, yeah. Primeval Titan on turn four which is generally what the fair Titan decks are doing, right? Like Amulet can turn three Titan, turn two, if they're really lucky, they're a little bit more explosive, but the fair Titan decks, which we'd been seeing like do pretty well recently, you know, mostly Celestia Titan, right? Or Elvish Reclaimer and Flagstones of Trocare, They're generally turn fouring those Titans, right? And so that this is, you know, just by itself, Invasion of the Giants is a, is a slow preordain, you know, scry two, the first turn, draw one, the next turn, uh, and then a double ramp spell, all wrapped up into one card. So seems great because it's all wrapped up into one card. The decks that are playing it are a it's a teamer Titan deck, but it sort of blends Titan with the Uro blue decks. Right, we're playing Mystic Sanctuary, we're playing Cryptic Command, we're playing Force and Negation. Uh, you know, you have Growth Spiral Uro, all that stuff, and good interaction. You're playing a Lightning Bolt, you know, uh, you know, as your your cheap removal. You get to sideboard other interaction. And Primeval Titan is now kind of serving the role that we've seen um, Hour of Promise in in those decks. That's where you're like go over the top, get to my accelerate to my Field of the Dead end game card. But Primeval Titan is obviously just like the best ever at doing that. Uh, and now you have a card that you know fits into the fair game plan because it is just a cheap cantrip that also enables Primeval Titan. So to me, that's just a great piece of technology. I don't know who invented it first and I saw, initially I saw Doomwreck streaming with it. More recently I've seen um, Aspiring Spike stream with it. Uh, and, you know, I don't know who got it from whom or if they both got it from somebody else, uh, but the, the deck has looked great. I think they're both winning like about 80% of their matches, if not slightly above that, in a pretty good sample size. Uh, I think they're, between the two of them, around 100 matches played. You know, winning about 80% of them. Uh, and maybe it's more like 75 matches, but uh, that's impressive, and I think, you know, th- a lot of people have that impulse of trying to, like, mash decks together, and it usually doesn't work. You usually get the worst of both decks. In this case, I- it looks like you're getting the best of both decks. I think you basically have the best elements of the Fair Titan decks. You know, you don't get the the, the toolbox, like Eladomri's El- El- Call kind of thing going on, but instead you just get the good blue disruption, which is the best part of the Uro decks, and you're still playing Uro. So this deck seems great to me. I think this deck is is here for the long haul. And this that's my big takeaway from the weekend for Modern.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that it affected some other formats too. Like you said, it kind of popped up in Pioneer a little bit had, had some of the new cards. And uh, this is the one that you and I kind of talked about. And we, we've seen this happening in a few other formats too. is uh, kind of taken the forefront here.
1: Yeah, we expected this in Modern with Jund, you know, hitting off of Bloodbird Elf, and you there was one Jund list. It did play three Valky in like thirtieth place in one of the Modern challenges. So a, a fine finish, but not a great one. You know that that's an X three record usually, um, but not a huge impact from Jund and from Valky in Modern. But in Pioneer, you know, you, it turns out you can find Valky off of Bring to Light and cast it. And when you cast Valky, even though that's what you found because it's a creature, when you cast it, you can cast Tybalt. So you sort of get around both the five mana limit of Brindalite and the plane, the no planeswalker clause because it's technically a creature on one side. Really weird interaction, but that's how it works. And it had a really strong showing in Pioneer. It won both challenges. So this was you know the, the best deck on the weekend, pretty clearly. One of them is from Canister. So you know you know he's probably been streaming with it. It's getting more press. That's only going to increase its presence in the meta game. This is now you know looks like the deck to beat right now in Pioneer. Uh, and, you know, it's a deck that already has a pedigree. It's been the deck to beat at various times in the, the format's history. Not much else has changed. Really just the power of Valky and having a really, really powerful threat to find off of it. Uh, that, you know, doubles as a pretty versatile removal spell. You know, I mean, you, you've talked about how good Tybalt is. Like, it's just a really fucking powerful magic card. Um, and I don't it,
0: think you're winning games where opponent gets a Tybalt into play and activates it. Like, I just don't think that's actually happening.
1: Yeah. And you, so and you do still I'm get surprised. the... You do still get the ability of like taking your opponent's arrows when you draw it early. Like you know, you just play a turn two, take their Uro. If they don't have a removal spell, they're dead. The game's over.
0: <laughs> you know? Uh it, it's it, you know what else is really cool? It's not just Pioneer that this is going on. Um there's some people trying this out in legacy as well, and I've seen some Five O uh deck screens I've mean, even got one pictured on my phone here because I love it. So it's um it, it's it, like it's a shardless like salt deck, right? Oh, it's five. Well, colors. it's it's soul but it, they just play five color snow with it with that Arkham's Astrolabe and stuff with it because it's it, you just you just play it with uh, Shardless Agent and Bloodbraid Elf, but it's pretty good with Brainstorm, obviously. But there's another card in Legacy that shows up that I was like, this is just big brain when they got to it, and that's Volrath Stronghold.
1: So so if they oh puts it on top of yep puts it on top of the yeah, deck. I was Vol- like thinking that it I brought it back get, to your uh, hand. Oh yeah, God. I
0: was like to kind of like marinate for a minute. So Royal Stronghold is a land where you can play one in a black and tap it. And you can take a creature from your graveyard and put it on top of your library. So this is an oldie but a goodie for all you like rock aficionados back in the day. You know, the rock and his minions. And those decks You like that. Just, or if you like grinding, it's, it's a sweet commander card. But in Legacy, you can take a Valkyrie that's in your graveyard, put it on top of your deck, and then just cast one of your cascade cards. And there you go. You've got a temple in play. So I've got to say this. I'm not surprised by this card doing this, like showing this kind of power because we haven't really had a card like this in the past where you get to kind of like choose. I don't like it, Ross. I feel like it's not something that you know, what I mean? it doesn't feel right. It's kind of like when we used to have the the difference on revealing cards that were split cards and you could like choose one but get the other one and like yeah, oh, will I I'd... choose which one and take how much damage. Like I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So yeah, it's I don't like it like, either. Can we just like, can we just like change the rules for this? Like this doesn't actually work. It's, it's it a very like,
1: counterintuitive.
0: Yeah. It feels like the intent is not there, right? Like it's something that like, yes, by the letter of the law, this is how it works, but it, it did not intend to be, to be this way. You know, we did not intend to have Tybalt come in because you put a Valky in a playoff, something like bring the light or shardless agent or bloodbraid elf. Like that does not sound to me like it should be happening. And I'll say this, it's cool, it's flashy, I don't want to lose, look, it's cool when I'm doing it, you know what I mean, I'm going to have fun doing it, but when my opponent does it to me, I'm not going to be happy. Okay, I'm going to be actually pretty upset. Oh yeah, I, I, already
1: cool. do, I already don't like Cascade as a mechanic. Uh, You know, just a lot of, like it, it can be fun to you, know, to, you know, just roll the dice with it. I love it for like versus live, you know, it just creates drama. But when I'm playing in tournaments, I really dislike Cascade. Like I hated Charlotte Sultai. I don't like Bloodbird Elf. And the, yeah, this is just you know more nonsense. It really shouldn't work like this, but somehow it does. And I the thing is, like, it's I don't think it's powerful enough that they're going to take action about it. They're just going to let people play their cards, and you know people are going to have fun with it. And I'm going to find it annoying, and I just have to get used to it because that's life, Tannen. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go ahead and just move into standard because we have got a lot we, to talk about?
1: Well, one more thing with Pioneer, I, I wanted to mention, sure, sure, which sure. was uh, Vorinclex oh, yeah, yeah, showing right, yeah. up in the in the Mono Green Devotion yeah. decks. So th- there were three devo- Mono Green decks in each of the Pioneer challenges, uh, top 32s, So six a cr- a total. Four of them had Vorinclex in their deck, right? Two of, which of them didn't. Just
0: makes sense, right? Well,
1: uh, yeah, Vorinclex it like- is it pairs so well with with Castle Garenbrig, and I think it's just a I think it's just a good good card. Like, yeah, so you know. Uh, yeah, and you have a bunch of planeswalkers for it to go with. Like you can immediately ultimate Anissa, right? Uh, once you have Vornclux in play, so it makes sense. But I will say, like we, uh, I, I don't, I personally expected in Search of Greatness in those mono green decks, and none of them were playing in Search of Greatness. So uh, not looking great for me there. Though with Vornclux, like that gives you something to put into play off of, you know off of Nyssa with, with in search. I, I still like it. I don't know like I don't know if those people who who one tried it and didn't like it or just decided to add Vorenklex, Uh you know, but so, so far not looking good for in search of greatness though. It did show up in Modern Monogreen Devotion where it plays very well with Leyline of Abundance. So you can just have le- oh. start on Leyline, turn two, play in search of greatness and immediately cast Nyssa off of search on turn 3 with all your lands untapped pretty good. and yeah, like that, you know, it seems hard to lose like at that, that point. Play
0: lines. That actually seems that actually seems really, really cool.
1: Yeah, the 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 modern monogreen devotion deck is has slowly got getting better and better. Like, you know, and eventually it's gonna get pushed into being good enough, right? I don't know if this is it, but th- that was one of the like, you know, one off things that we kind of saw. I will say uh, the one last thing for these things was the the cool deck in one of the the pioneer uh challenges, and that was in no not this one. Uh, here it is. Ninth place in the first Pi- the second Pioneer Challenge, uh, was a transmogrified deck, like the transmogrify fires the Orion deck, playing Azika's Chariot, which we also saw show up in the sideboards of the Mono Green Devotion decks as a Karn target, which I think is really cool. Um, I think it's a good Karn target there, and then four copies of the Ravens Warning, so that's the Azorius Saga that like makes a bird, and you know then eventually wishes. So these are two other just really powerful token makers to set up Transmogrify, but they're just good cards by themselves. I think Ezekiel's right, yeah. Chariot is has been pretty overlooked during preview season, but we're seeing it show up in a lot of places. We'll see it in Standard 2 when we get to that. I mentioned it's in the sideboard of those decks. It, we also saw it in uh, Wynoda decks, because you know it makes non, multiple non-humans. Um, but this is just a good card on rate. You know, Corey and I have had success with it on Versus, and now we're seeing it in you know like a controlling shell. It's also really good with Yorian. Um, you know, just blinking it and getting two more cats. So uh, a lot of different ways to to abuse Azika's Chariot, and happy to see it here now in a in a four colored fire deck. Like, I can, can you imagine just going like you know turn four you know, fires plus Chariot, and then having you know next turn threatening Agent of Treachery going nuts. Uh, like the the next turn you you can go buy yorian play transmogrify play yorian blink the chariot blink the agent take two of your things have three cats uh so cool stuff there um you know there are a couple other minor things that we don't really need to get into but you know i like that we're seeing that level of impact you know one kind of brand new deck in modern with trickery. A couple other, you know, improvements to different decks are on the edges. We're going to see the metagame adapt to them and resettle into, you know, a new norm. I'm sure we'll see some more things as people continue to explore the set, but it does not look like we're going to have, you know, a completely reshaped Pioneer or reshaped Modern. Personally, uh, I think that's a good thing. I imagine most people agree, Um, but we did see a pretty significant impact on Week 1 in Standard. A lot of new Standard stuff going on.
0: Yeah, a lot of new stuff going on. Uh, some old decks with you know new additions. I, I'm happy to see this set having a big impact, and you're seeing completely new archetypes come up for sure. Uh, which one do you want to start on? Which the the thirty first or the first?
1: Let's start with the uh, the thirty first, the first one. So the, this is one got posted on thirty first. The tournament happened on the thirtieth. So this is Saturday's challenge. Uh, the winning deck list. This is a list that was good over the, a deck that was good over the summer, and after rotation has had a tough time of it. This is mono green aggro uh you know the stone coil serpent gem razor that kind of thing lower curve but we're seeing two new cards in it three copies of foreign clex which i think is awesome in this deck great closer great with castle garen brig this is the kind of power level jump that this deck needed to get back into competitive viability and then you're also seeing two copies of aziga's chariot a card that i just think is awesome it's just a it's just a good card
0: yeah, you and I talked about this. I think on one of the shows when we saw it get spoiled. That I thought this card was just a good card at raid. Like it's it's hard. You know, I played against it in limited now, and I was just like, man, this card is not beatable. You know, so it, it it's one of those cards. It doesn't surprise me to see it show up in standard, or it doesn't surprise me to see me show up in construction. I,
1: I expect to see it also in mono green food. I really like I'm making food with it, so that you can turn it into cards with trail and just draw cards with it, rather than just make more tokens that are going to get swept up in you know a a doom scar or something.
0: yeah absolutely i mean the the power level of it is definitely there lots of cool flexible things you can do um it making extra tokens is really cool it just seems like a good versatile threat that leaves stuff behind if they only have like one answer you know kind of thing
1: i I also like that it uh you know it's it's obviously good against sweepers just in general because it leaves the vehicle back but it gives you a higher stress on an even part of your curve against extinction event you know mostly that they're they're extinction eventing at odd though the aggro deck has a little bit more evens to begin with. Uh, but I, I do like that. You know, they're even playing Tangled Florahedron, which I, I don't think you saw in the, you know, mono green aggro typically because they had a, a lower curve. But now that you're, you know, have more four drops with Chariot, alongside Questing Beast, and you're playing Vorinclex, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, now you, you can do things like turn two hedron turn three QB or Chariot, turn four Castle Garenbrig Vorinclex. And literally, you know, I think if you QB on, on 3 and attack for 4, the next turn you attack for 10. So that's a that's a just turn 5 kill with 3 cards and lands. I guess Castle gernberg is kind of a 4th specific card. Uh, but all the other green hits, you know, would not surprise me if Mono Green Aggro is better now. Because Vorenklex is really fucking good.
0: I don't know if people have realized this yet. I mean, it's why I had it so high up on my list. You know, we talked about this. There is one other new card that showed up in this list that I was like pretty excited about It's in the sideboard and that snakeskin veil. And so this is just an update. What's the uh what's the card it's replacing? It's just an updated version Rangers of Ranger's uh, guile. Ranger's guile, because it actually leaves behind a plus and a plus one counter here. Sometimes two if you have a floor clicks. Yeah, well it's it's <laughs> relevant with that, and you have Swarm Shambler in your deck as well. So just another small little synergy relevance, uh, you know, thing that's in the deck. There's three swarm shamblers in the creature slot. you he looking for it? Right? Yeah, if I was just I, went, I was just like,
1: checking to see if swarm shambler uh, gave you a one-one if you targeted your stuff, and it does not. Um, it would well, probably be a lot when, better when if your that creatures,
0: would, you know, dies or whatever. Right? It
1: uh, becomes the target of a spell an opponent controls. So uh, it's okay. not. Okay. So dies. I
0: guess yeah, I got it. I got it mixed up or whatever. But hey, you know, in, in the future, possibly. You know, you can put a plus-plus counter anything now, and, like, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, there's not many creatures in this deck that don't have counters on them in some way, shape, or form anyway, so whatever.
1: For the most part, you're just blowing out, you know, Heartless acts and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Other than that, I think that was about, you know, the only cool stuff we saw from the new Mono Green list. I'm looking through the uh, Blue-Black Rogues list they got uh, second place, and I'm not really seeing too much of, of new stuff in this deck. I wasn't surprised to see people still playing it this weekend, but nothing really. And, but then if you go down to third place, we got a, we got a suite with with quite a, uh, a good bit of new cards, a lot of new lands and stuff involved as well.
1: Yeah, this is one of the sort of breakout decks. If, if you go through and look at the results from both events, there's a lot of, of this list. Like this is a list that people worked on. One of them is by the username Salvato, who, which I'm assuming is Luis Salvato, but maybe not. Um, you know, so that I think this is, you know, a list that people worked on and brought for the weekend. Uh, and it's like a, it is it, it's just Sultai, right? There's no actual white, even though there's Yorian. Yeah. It's, it's a Sultai Yorian control deck. Um, and I think, you know, the real big card here, and it's a card that's been getting a lot of, a lot of press is binding the old gods, you know, uh just destroy any non-permanent on that first chapter get a land then that's the turn you're usually blinking it you're destroying something else then getting another land you know we see decks in in standard now that like they use their mana well into the late game so those extra lands are relevant you know even later in the game now you have mana to you know use your maze Mind tone that's one of the big pieces of card advantage also a good thing to blink with yorian you know there's not a ton to blink here it's like omen of the sea and elspeth's nightmare Finding the Old Gods and Maze Mind Tome, so it's not like a super all-in Yorian deck. Gaining a little bit of value with it, we see a lot of good interaction, good counter spells. I'm honestly kind of surprised not to see Essence Scatter anywhere. I think that's a pretty good card right now. Um, but there are this list is playing Coming. I don't think all of them are uh, Salato. I know is ninth place in the other challenge. Um, no, they're playing. Maybe they're all playing Coming, and I just overlooked it once. Um, but uh kind of surprised. i'm a, kind of a little surprised to see that one i would uh, generally assume neutralize is better unless you have a specific way to use the two like to use the two mana like the is it deck that Everee is talking about with with goldspan dragon if you have saw it coming on fortel we'll get we'll get to that one it's really nice sure, yeah, yeah we'll get that this, this deck doesn't yeah. really have a way to use it they're really just playing the card straight up but apparently like that's what they landed on uh you know that's what they wanted so maybe i underrated saw it coming a little bit uh the other you know New addition non land uh, among non lands, there's a bunch of pathways. Is Coma Cosmo Serpent. Um, I have not played a ton with this card, and I've mainly been using it as a sideboard card in uh teamer ramp decks. You know, Genesis Ultimatum is a liability against disdainful stroke, mystical dispute, all these counter spells, so you usually board down on that card. But Coma being uncounterable lets you, you know, still have a really powerful seven mana threat. Um, but not be vulnerable to counter spells. Here, it's just in the main deck. This is like one of their big win conditions, along with Ugin. So, like they're 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 not super tap outy because they're playing a good amount of counter spells, but they're still playing you know Elspell's Nightmare, Binding the Old Gods, Yorian. Um, so the deck it, it looks weird to me on paper. Like there's a lot of powerful cards here. I think there's just just the individual card quality is really high, but I they don't fit really nicely to me. Like it's part flash reactive control and part proactive control. I would like kill for a growth spiral in this deck, uh, though I never want to see growth spiral in standard ever again. <laughs> but you know, if I were playing this deck, I would kill for a growth spiral. Um, so I'm, I'm a little, you know, I'm just kind of off put by the de- by this deck because uh, I agree that binding the old gods is powerful, but like putting a bunch of counter spells around it is just weird to me.
0: And yeah, like it. Overall, like I can kind of agree with all that stuff. It the thing I just wanted to talk about, like slightly, and I know you touched on this quite a bit, is just like for me, binding of the old gods has super overperformed every time I've used it, especially in constructed. Like obviously it's very good and limited, but like in constructed it's it's good because we talked about this when we talked about the the spoiler, this is kind of like a backwards saga where the saga is usually like build up. You know what I mean? There's like oh the 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 first thing's cool, the second one is usually like really cool, and the third one you're like, yeah, this is the sweet spot. This is where it's really good. And this one's kind of backwards, right? Like the the the, the thing you want the most out of it generally is the first chapter. The second chapter's fine, right? Like yeah, you go and get a you go get a forest card. By the way, it's forest cards. So you can go get one of your triomes. You don't have to get just actual forest. So you can kind of fix your mana a little bit there, you know, make sure you get your doubles and stuff like your double blue for free Orion. But the fact that You don't even care about the third saga, like ever. Like the third saga part is completely irrelevant in this deck. So it's just perfect, like you said, for that's when you're going to be blinking it with the Orient. It gives you time to kind of make sure you used your mana a little bit better, got your maze, mind, tomes a little further down the road. And you really get to kind of get all that value from it. So I think this is a perfect home for the card, Binding of the Old Gods. And it's one of those ones that I think you're going to see. No, of, by the way.
1: Binding, uh, binding the old the, gods, the old gods. Sure. we've we've sure. had yeah, multiple perform- we've had multiple memos go out among the scg writing staff about this yeah. that's the only reason i'm bringing it up so no <laughs> like one. this is something that uh, apparently the staff has not caught on to there's usually like one card in each set uh you know that does it to us we're just like seven people make the same mistake and it's like okay guys yeah let's uh let's get it together also, if you here.
0: Ever hear it said that way you're just gonna say it that way but yeah it's I think this deck is really cool. This is the kind of deck I could see your partner in crime, Corey Baumeister, just loving and playing the hell out of.
1: Yeah, this is a very Corey deck. He loves binding the old gods.
0: So if you like grinding, this is this is the deck for you in standard right now. I'm a Soulty fan, so I'm gonna put this one through the paces. I'm gonna give it you know give it a little bit of work, and I don't know. This this is a deck that looks cool to me because uh, anyone where I feel like I'm supposed to be hard casting Shark Typhoon a little more often than normal is a deck that I'm interested in because I like hardcasting Shark Typhoon for some reason, and this looks like the kind of deck where I'm like, yo, I want to be hard-casting Shark Typhoon.
1: Yeah, everyone wants to hardcast Shark Typhoon. It's rarely correct, but everyone wants to do it. Uh, the last thing I'll say about this deck is I love their choice to play four Heartless Act. Normally, I'm a fan of diversifying removal a lot, but I think of the, the way the current metagame looks with Vorenklex and Goldspan Dragon, Heartless Act is the way to go. You see four copies here, and they had a lot of success
0: uh another small little quick thing about the coma thing i haven't played against it in constructed yet but i have played against it in limited and i'm telling you it right is that it's unbeatable. unbeatable so it, yeah yeah it's it's unbeatable so unbeatable big surprise big surprise the uh the simic mythic with a lot of words on it is good in this set <laughs> we've learned anything from magic in the last two years if there's a simic rare or mythic and it's got a lot of words on it it's really good uh, i know you're a big fan or need to be a big fan of this fourth place list because this is right up your alley it's a whole bunch of little white creatures trying to kill your opponent really quickly. It looks like kind of a, a white weenie uh, yeah. type deck.
1: I know Crokies um, Kro- has been talking up white cards. He says white cards are really good. Um, so I imagine that I, I don't know if this is specifically a Crokies list. I wouldn't be surprised if it were. But white aggro, definitely a big winner from the weekend.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, the new cards that you're seeing on this one, you're seeing uh, four Faithless Haven. Uh, not a surprise in a monocolored deck. Yeah, uh, I think basically any
1: monocolored aggro deck should just play Snowlands and Faithful Savant.
0: Yeah, uh, b- big fan of Halvar, God of Battle. You and I talked about this. It was like almost on my top eight list. It was on my original top eight list. Um, big fan of that card. I think it's very, very powerful. Yeah, um, I played against uh, Halvar today for the first time, and I severely underrated how good uh, both sides of that card is. And I think that's where like the real value of it is. Is like it's so good on both ends that. You 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 kind of don't have, you're not like, you know, sometimes if like they have to cast the front end of one of the cards, you're like, oh, thank God. You know, well, I guess that's a a, a pun I didn't really intend there, but you're like, oh, thank, thankfully it's that one. But like, it's just surprising how good both ends are. So I've been having a problem beating that card. I think it's really good. And then the last new card that was added into it before we go and talk about all of them is Usher of the Fallen. Just a really good one drop. I mean, uh, Savannah Lions kind of eat your heart out here it's just a 2-1 one for one and a white but it has a boast ability for one and a white to make a 1-1 one, one human warrior token this is just a good card to have against a lot of decks that like you know what i mean because it's it's a good aggressive creature early it allows you to spin your mana to progress your board and then you don't have to you know invest spells into doing that from then on so if you get this in underneath like the counterspell removal deck this is a really good card against them
1: yeah you can just kind of pr- press your advantage and not overextend into a sweeper but still get a little bit more pressure in case they just have spot removal uh, so let lets you you know walk that line really well. Um, so I think that's where I think you're not, you're not going to like play it on turn one, activate on turn two that often, right? You're going to want to curve out with something better. You know if you don't have the two drop, then sure, like you'll do it. Uh, but that's kind of your your last resort. I think you're going to see a lot, especially in the control matchups where your opponent has sweepers. You're going to see Usher the Fall and get boasted on turn three, turn four quite a bit because you're not going to want to yeah. extend another creature. Um, also you know those extra bodies lying around may not seem like much because they're just one ones but when you're playing model, of the skyclaves and halvar which has an equipment on the other side you know any body that you can attach the equipment to is pretty valuable you also have luminar Caspirant, so that's another way to just like you know turn a random one one into a real threat so pretty valuable with the way that the deck is constructed i think you know the 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 white aggro deck now looks like it has You know, it's pretty well filled out. It's got some good interaction with Kabira Takedown, Skyclave Apparition, and Giant Killer. Uh, you know, Giant Killer stock I think is, has gone up with you know Vorinclex and Goldspan Dragon coming into the metagame, so that's really nice to have. Usually, like white aggro struggles with the bigger creatures because you don't have a lot of removal. Um, you know, I think getting a creature land at the quality of Faithless Haven really important. Um, oh, and, huge! I think it, yeah.
0: I think it's very big. Yeah.
1: And then just a lot of good ways to help you grind through removal. You know, I think a lot of the time you're going to play the equipment side of Halvar against, you know, uh, more interactive decks and play the Halvar side when you're trying to race. Uh, And that's a nice dichotomy to have but that means it's going to be good regardless of the matchup. You know, usher the Fallen, as we just mentioned, helps you against sweepers. Season Hollowblade does the deck's curve is nicely split between odds and evens against Extinction Event, and now you have a creature land. So when they you know play their sweeper, you, you can just get in and maybe finish them off with a Faceless Haven. So uh, this deck, when I'm looking at it on paper, looks really strong to me. Um, I'm I'm definitely in for it.
0: And I'm I'm really glad that you brought it up. Um, Season Hollowblade, I think, is like quietly was quietly like the best card that wasn't getting played in Standard from where standard was at before this is one of those cards that, you know, every time I played it gets it in limited. I I was always like this card feels like a constructed card to me and just never had a home. And with the way white have been, you know, trending over the last few years, it made sense. But with cards getting printed in the new sets like Halvar, you know, like this good uh, one drop, giving it a good creature land. And then you're getting Skyclave Apparition added to, you know, one of the better white cards we've seen in a long time. It's not a surprise that this deck is coming up and being good. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the decks that has some longevity, that has some staying power out of the new decks. And you might not see change too much either. Like this might be, maybe not like its final form, you know, all the numbers aren't the same, but you're seeing all the cards in it that are good. You know, Maul the Skyclaves is a card that we saw kind of have fringe playability in the last couple couple metagames, and this card just kills people very quick and is very good.
1: Yeah, I think we've known that the, the White has a lot of good tools, but it just didn't quite have enough to fill out the deck, right? There was always a couple weak cards in there. I still think, like, you know, the six protection creatures is probably high. I think one more good one-drop could really set it over the top, and then, like, maybe that comes in the next set uh but like season and Luminarch Aspirant are great two drops apparition is one of the best white cards ever printed you know Skyclave is really good kabura takedown a good removal spell these other the new cards faceless haven halvar usher of the fallen just good you know uh good rate magic cards um so it really does seem like the deck is is nicely filled out now and there's not really a you know much of a hole uh and i'm i'm expecting white aggro to be good you do also see a lot of new cards on the sideboard, by the way. Doomscar is, is a cool one. I always like seeing like the sweeper in the sideboard of the Aggro deck. So against the green deck, especially
0: so when like, you have like Season Hollow, yeah. Especially when you have a Season Hollowblade and like Sword of the Realms, which is the front side of Halvar. This is something that, like you can have these in play, put them on your creatures, or just have a cre- a card to discard to Hollowblade, Doomscar, and then be like, well, my creatures are still around, buddy. You know, like.
1: Can you imagine uh, Doomscarring when you have a Giant Killer equipped with? the Halvar equipment, so you just, like, get another removal spell back to your hand. Yep. that's that uh, that's sweet. That's
0: a, cool, that's a cool thing I've seen actually happen with this deck, where you're just, like, you're attacking with a 3-1. It's like, what are they gonna do? Just keep taking it? They're like, oh, trade. You're like, well, I just get this back to my hand now. Like, now I'm gonna be able to kill your Questing Beast or something, you know, along the lines, down the line. So, a lot of cool stuff going on here. Yeah,
1: Glorious Protector, a great anti-sweeper card. Um, mm-hmm. and then Rydan, not really sold on this one, to be honest. Um, I think this is just, like, kind of a mediocre card, so maybe the sideboard could use some work I see just kind of a lot of clunky big cards, um, mm-hmm. so that, that doesn't look great to me, uh, but I haven't played it's the It's understandable, so. though.
0: It is week one. You know, yeah, so yeah. A lot of room for improvement yeah. in most it's, decks.
1: It's going to gonna take some time for uh, for sideboards to mm-hmm. to fill out.
0: And uh, speaking of white aggressive decks, if you move down to the seventh place list, there's a list that's very similar, except it's actually playing two colors here, and you're looking at like kind of a Boros I want to say aggressive list here, you know, it goes all the way up to five drops here. But this has a card where that's kind of the deck kind of built around this that I thought was going to have a breakout this weekend. And it kind of underperformed. And that is the showdown of the, Scalds, the uh the red-white saga that has gotten a lot of press. And you can see that this deck is really trying to do well with it because it's got a good aggressive tint to it, a lot of low casting cost stuff. But you're seeing a card in it. That is specifically like geared to make sure that Showdown of the Skulls gets used as good as possible, as, as much as possible, with Shepherd of the Flock.
1: Yeah, Juzo tweeted out, you know, that this was the best card card advantage engine in Standard a few days ago, and this this board was listed it's close to what he had.
0: Yeah, and that, that's a strong endorsement or something like that for people who might not remember what Shepherd of the Flock is. It's a um, it's an adventure card from back in the day. That I say back in the day, it feels like it, it feels like so long ago that these cards came out, and it really wasn't that long, but. It's a 3-1 one for one and a white for, for a human peasant, right? So this is a, a good enough card to get some decks. Like you're just going to play on turn two and attack them and try to get, you know, three to six damage in with this card. But it has an, an adventure side that's an instant that is one white man says, return target permanent you control to its owner's hand. So what you're trying to do here is you're trying to play showdown of the skulls. And you're trying to return it to your hand with all the triggers on the stack. Once you've gotten, you know, all the all the card advantage and stuff out of it, you've gotten the this, this second chapter going, you can kind of wash, rinse, and repeat here. And then you still get your creature out of it. So it sets a creature off to the side as well. So you have another spell kind of waiting in the wings to play on your Showdown Skulls and get even more value out of it. So this is kind of what we're seeing out of our aggressive, like, creature decks. Like, when I think about Magic Traditionally... And I think about creature decks in the past you know mono white on a red it's blind aggression right they're gonna play their one drop on one their two drop on two probably two spells on three and then like a burn spell or removal spell on four and try to kill you now these decks grind just as good as the mid-range control decks if not better sometimes and it's it's kind of scary and like this deck kind of kind of stands out to me once it's like you know you get the mana just right and like you get the creatures just right this deck looks really powerful to me because Shadow on the skulls is a powerful card it just did not do the results that we expected out of it, or I expected out of it this weekend.
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, the the Is It deck, you know, which did do pretty well this weekend, actually won the other, other standard challenge, It was probably the most hyped deck of the weekend. But showdown of the Scald, you know, decks in general, uh, but particularly the Boris deck because of the press from Jiza was probably the number two most hyped deck of the weekend, and certainly like didn't put up the same level of of results, though we do see it in both topics. There's there's one copy each uh it looks like so uh you know oh no there's actually two in the other list so not not a bad showing honestly to me no b- not, not at all Shodown. one the the one from the the other standard challenge is eighth place and it's more instead of white splash showdown it's more mono red splash showdown so a- another way to go yeah,
0: i expected i expected that right like i expected more people to realize how good showdown the scalds is or how powerful it is and more people to try to abuse it yeah. than what we saw so maybe we're just scratching the surface of this card
1: I, I agree. You know, it fits into a lot of different places. Corey's been playing it with Yorian over and over again. I actually built a, a similar list to this 8th place list, the, uh, the mono-red with Showdown. I was more all-in on Burji. I thought that synergy to, like, give you the mana to just deploy your cards super quickly was going to be cool. Corey played a little bit with it on stream and didn't win, but it was very clear to me that he didn't, like, care about the deck because he's just not, doesn't like aggro. Um, so I don't think he was trying his hardest, and he had some you know weak draws and just gave up on the deck really quickly. Um, so uh, personally, I I think there's some uh, there's still definitely some potential there. I would like to see more burgies in the red splash um, showdown list. But speaking of other ways to use showdown with the scalds, I wanted to go all the way down to eleventh place in this first challenge, where you will see a four color ramp deck, and it's a, you know it's teamer splashing showdown, and it's playing genesis ultimatum which is really cool
0: this is when i was talking about like people scratching the surface and really doing it this is where i thought we would see some real innovation of the card because it does a pretty good impression of escape to the wilds right and it's that's what you're kind of seeing here is you're seeing like teamer adventures with some new cards in it some of four of it which being showed on the skulls to kind of take that spot
1: yeah and i what i like is you know when you ramp on turn three with fertile footsteps or cultivate on turn four you can play showdown before playing your land then play a land that you hit off of it probably have another one and then play the spells off of it on the following turn so there's a natural curve there um you know the the splash is pretty easy to do with uh just uh, what pathway do they have Yeah, is that the no they have the red green pathway so that they have, the Sim- they have the Simic and the Gruel. So they're splashing it off of one Plains, which they can find off of four Fable Passage, four Cultivate, and four Beanstalk Giant. So that's really how they're doing it. And, and they have the four Cobras. So not a lot of disruption to the regular team or mana base here. It's really the cost of one Plains, uh, which yeah, I like. One so, slot. Yeah. yeah, one Plains, and you're good to go. You can cast your four Showdowns pretty easily. You know, Cobra is also really good with Showdown because you're going to keep making all your land drops. You want that extra extra mana. Um, and then the other new card in this list is Kasima, God of the Voyage, uh, which I think this is a list that's really trying to play Kasima more than the Omen Keel, uh, though you can, you know, crew the Omen Keel with Lotus Cobra or the Human from Lovestruck Beast, you know, things like that. But Kasima, I found to generally be underwhelming as a standalone card, but is really good when you have effects that can put multiple lands onto the battlefield, namely Genesis Ultimatum. So when you put, when you like, you have Kasima early and you play it as kind of a speed bump, and if it lives until the point you're playing ultimatum, that's the turn you exile it. And then you pile it with counters with all the lands you hit off the ultimatum and draw a bunch more cards. So uh, that's really cool to me.
0: Yeah, I think I've told you whenever I've played this deck, I've had problems with that where, you know, I flood out or I have like the late game where I'm just drawing cultivates, I'm drawing beanstalk giants, and like, I don't get enough value out of like the lands that I'm having in my deck. And so it seems kind of cool to have a card that can kind of, you know, it plans for you not having the best draw every game.
1: Yeah. And Showdown does that to some extent too. So a lot of extra card advantage from time for this Team of Ramp deck while retaining that same powerful core of, you know, the adventure creatures Genesis Ultimatum Cultivate. This is just cool. This is just, you know, we've seen Team of Ramp. You now, I now, this is going to be a much more difficult Team of Ramp deck for control decks to contain while still having its good interaction and its aggro. I'm actually, the one card I'm a surprised not to see anywhere is, uh, Battle of Frosted Fire. I think that's a really good card for these decks to have against aggro because you ramp into it so you got your your sweeper on turn 4 and it provides you a little bit of card advantage some, some card quality with the scry. It doesn't kill your Strike beast, it doesn't kill your bone crusher giants. So all it's killing is lotus cobra. You can exile Casimo, you know, the turn you're playing and cast it so that gets around it and it's a sweeper that you can hit off of Genesis Ultimatum. Right? Because it's a permanent. So I'm not saying that you have to main deck it, but I would like to see, like they have Storm's Wrath in their sideboard. I think Battle of Frost and Fire is a better card for these decks because you're generally going to have some form of ramp leading up to that point anyway. So I don't think the one extra mana is that big of a deal and it just synergizes better with the deck.
0: Absolutely. Um, Another deck that we could uh, take a little minute to, to take a uh, take a look at. It's another one that you and I talked about. you kind of you you said you wanted to see this deck show up. We did, and that's in eighth place you see a version of the mono green deck. I, I say a version of it because I think this one's going to get flushed out quite a bit
1: this is green food yeah
0: you know the numbers are going to get you know you see a couple of here's the funny thing about this deck there's a bunch of fours and there's a bunch of ones and twos you know what i mean there's like barely any threes in this deck, or and stuff like that so you know we, we expected you know four castle garen brig to be normal going forward because you're seeing voran clicks in this deck um you're seeing four old growth troll you know a card that you and i were both into and a card that i think might have a decent bit of uh showing up but the big one that's in here that i know is going to get you excited is there's three in search of greatness in this deck and i know yeah. it's a card that you're you're big on
1: yeah, I'm definitely big on In Search of Greatness. I like it in this deck in particular. Um, I'm actually, le- I'm not as high on Old Growth Troll in this deck. I think I would rather see Kazandu Mammoth because it plays better with Henge, though they're only playing one Henge. Uh, so that's just kind of a decision that they made. A little surprised, actually, not to see Old Growth Troll in the aggro deck. That was not in the Monogreen aggro deck, where I think it's a little bit better. They actually played Kazandu Mammoth. There's going to be some. There's a lot of competition at the three slot in the curve for these green decks. So interesting that they went with troll. Um, I like in search of greatness in this deck. I think you know when you have a, a trail of crumbs deck, you, you get that free mana is really valuable because you have trail to use your mana with other things, and you can dig through your deck and find the right casting cost of permanence so that you're getting your value consistently with in search of greatness. So I think it's a great card for this deck. Not at all surprised to see it. Um, the card I'm surprised not to see is actually azika's chariot which i also really like in this deck i mentioned how i like it in food decks where you can make food i think this is the perfect you know perfect uh card for this deck it lets you play defense it lets you play offense this is a mid-range deck it wants to be able to play both and transition seamlessly between the two it has different tokens to make uh, you know are with between food and cats and humans and beasts from vivian uh monsters advocate i, th- I think azika's chariot would be a great choice I would certainly play one just over the questing beast to start out, uh, and I'd even tried to find room for the second, um, you know, where I could. But you know, as far as in search of greatness, not surprised to see that at all. Vorinclex is just an awesome fucking card. You even see that they're down to two feasting troll king because they didn't want to play that many sixes, and that's like, isn't that the sort of the marquee card of this deck? When you think of Monograin food, that's kind of the first. That's the first card that comes to your mind. Mostless are at we're at 3 anyway because they wanted that one Kogla because I think it's really good uh the Kogla is good in the mirror. Uh and just generally you know green mirrors. And now they they have the one Kogla and two Vorinclex, so down to two Feasting Troll King. That really to me demonstrates just how powerful Vorinclex is as a card. And you know, here you're getting some synergy with like Wicked Wolf getting two counters on it for each food you sacrifice. You know, you're stopping a lot of those sagas. If people are going to be playing a lot of Binding the Old Gods, if they're going to be playing a lot of ECDs in the Crown Wars like they were last season, Vorinclex is just so good.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I'm excited to see decks like this be good. I'm excited to see Vorinclex be good because if a six mana creature is good in standard, that's the kind of format I want to be playing in a little bit more. Uh, I I'm okay with cards like that being good because it's not the same as a planeswalker when a planeswalker takes the game over, because I will say this in a lot of games that you're going to play born clicks, it's going to feel like a planeswalker. And in fact that the effects that it has on both sides of the board. And then the fact that the game has now become about four clicks. Yeah. If you get the, the, what I'm trying to say here, like, no, that that's you, exactly like been, been my play experience playing with the card. <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's Yeah. It's, it's like a sub game. You know, when you play a planeswalker, your opponent's like, all right, Do I ignore it or do I attack that? Now I attack that, how how do I function over the next turn or two? Now when Vorks comes to play, it's like, all right, how much of my deck is bad now? How much of theirs is better? Can I kill it right away? Can I do this? Can I do that kind of thing? So I think Vork is going to be a big player in the standard environment. It looks like it's going to be. I think it's just going to be very good. Talking about big players in the standard environment, Ross, the thing that I'm most excited about with the winning deck list from the other the other uh, challenges weekend, the, you know we've we've talked about it a little bit. We keep, keep mentioning the is it deck that won the other challenge. Is how many new cards are in it? Because this is a completely new deck, a completely new archetype. It got tweeted out by LSV. Some other people were messing around with it. You had written an article about it even before LSV touched about it. You know this kind of play, this kind of thing to do, and ended up uh, you know putting its money where its mouth was in this challenge. There are quite a lot of lists of it made it up into the top tables. It ended up winning the whole thing. And you're seeing some of the more powerful, powerful cards of the last year or two from standard making it. So you're seeing four bone country, Giant. you're seeing four brazen borrower, you know, you're seeing four shark typhoon, that kind of things. But then you're seeing just tons and tons of the new cards here. And you're seeing four it coming three frostbite four behold, the multiforce four gold dragon. This is the first like four gold span dragon deck we've seen. And then you're seeing, um, you know, some of the the blue red new lands. You're seeing Faceless Haven in this one as well because you're playing a bunch of basics and a bunch of snow lands, so it's easy to you know activate Faceless Haven in this deck. And I gotta say, I think one of the things that makes this deck good is it's just a bunch of spells that are good. It's it's good tempo. So people and it's new, so people don't know how to play against it just yet. But this would. Looks to me to be like one of the best gold span dragon decks because of all the stuff you can do with two mana. Yes, that's in this one. You have you have Brazen Borrower, you have you know Bone Crusher Giant, you have Disdainful Stroke, Essence Scatter, Negate. You can even cycle a goddamn Shark Typhoon if you just need a card. You know, if you've got to do it, but you're getting extra mana left over, you're utilizing all these spells so much better than other decks. That I think this deck's great. It's a deck that I would initially gravitate towards if I was playing this environment. I will say this this was one by Nathan Stewart, he's a uh. I want to say he's still a, he's a young Magic player, not a very young Magic player like we're used to. I mean, this kid was making waves when he was like 14 or 13. And he looked like he was 9. Like, I'm not trying to make fun of him or anything. He was a very young-looking man. And uh, he's in college now, if I remember right. And, you know, he's out on the West Coast, plays a lot of Magic. He used to fly from the West Coast to come to SCG opens just because he wanted to game that bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always had a lot of respect for him in his game. I've played against him, like, once or twice, and he's just beaten the shit out of me both times that we've played. Like, it, it felt bad, right? He's very good. So he won this tournament. I will say this. I saw him tweet about it. and was super excited. And then I read the tweet and he was like, I don't know if I'd recommend this deck going forward. And I can kind of understand that, right? Like when people know this deck is like a known quantity, you know how to play around it. You know all of its tricks. You get a little bit, you know, you you lose some percentage points, right? When they know everything that you're going to do every turn. But I got to hope Ross said this deck's good enough because I love everything about it.
1: Yeah, in, in a vacuum, this deck is just very, very well constructed for the exact reason you said. It's just taking full advantage of what you know. R- right now is probably the default best card in the set, Goldspan Dragon, and it, it is exactly as you said, the best Goldspan Dragon deck. So much just quality two mana interaction. We're not playing like the, all these this two mana interaction that you listed. These are not cards that were that would be out of place if you didn't have Goldspan Dragon. They're not there just because of Goldspan Dragon. They're there because they're good cards, and they happen to also just cost two mana or less, so Goldspan Dragon fits really well into this deck. And when you think about reactive control decks that are heavy on counter spells, I often think about decks that just don't have a good clock. That's the thing that comes to my mind. So they're going to give you a lot of time. So you can usually slow play your threats. It's a lot about that cat and mouse game, like how much do I extend into them? I've got to force them to have an answer at an awkward spot, try to make their mana awkward, things like that. But this deck turns that dynamic on its head because of Goldspan Dragon. You're able to just tap out on turn five, really put the pressure to your opponent while still maintaining that counter wall or interaction wall. You know, maybe you have a bounce spell or, you know, a a shock of some kind. Uh, And you're able to really put the game away and punish them for slow playing their spells. So now, like, there's going to be a lot of games where your opponents are incentivized to just curve out into your interaction, worrying about you pulling too far ahead with a Goldspan Dragon when you just haven't even drawn one. So you, you even get value out of Dragon when you don't have it?
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely one of the decks that takes advantage of um what's worse the card itself or the threat of the card. You know, like just having to always play around. It's like when you're playing against Mono Red and you have to, you do everything you can to keep their attackers down the smallest amount of amount because you can't handle um an Ember Cleave. So you like have to play around it. They never draw the Ember Cleave and you probably lose because of that. You know, if you would just you know play it slightly or whatever. But like you said, the Goldspan Dragon thing. Can you imagine? On like turn five like it's their turn four whatever they do something they play something and you're like play goldspun dragon attack you make a treasure so like i technically have two mana now and i just have essence scatter and Negate in my hand can you imagine the feeling as a magic player like i would feel like i could i would just be getting up and running laps around the building you know with my hand up and like just like i can't lose like you just took four you're gonna take four again i'm stopping whatever you, do, you you kill my dragon i kill i stop that you play a big threat i stop that i don't give a shit Right? And then my dragon's going to attack again. I'm going to get more mana. I'm going to cycle the shark typhoon and make a big-ass flying shark. I'm going to shark NATO your shit. <laughs> right? Like, you you play something that doesn't matter? That's cool. I'll let it resolve and then, you know, I'll bounce it with brazen bar just so you don't have it anymore. E- e- oh, I'll, I'll play some small stuff to get around all that. Resolves, resolves. I'll I'll, I'll use this bone crusher Giant to kill one of them and then I'll untap and I'll play the bone crusher Giant to trade or block the other one. Like, how do you... Like, it just blows my mind. Like, how do you how do you play around this? So... I got to believe it's like you said, you're going to have to like try to play into their stuff to make both to make Goldsman Dragon as bad as possible or just hope they don't draw it. But the deck's going to draw a lot of cards too. (laughs) It's the problem.
1: The one thing I will say about this deck, and I think potentially the reason that uh, Nathan was a little low on it after the tournament, despite winning it is that for the next few weeks, Goldsman Dragon is public enemy number one. So if you're a deck that is pretty reliant on that card, and I think without Goldsman Dragon, this deck is just not viable right other it's like it's an it's an okay control deck right outside of goldspan dragon and if if the entire metagame turns against goldspan dragon and like everyone's playing heartless axe and good removal against it and cheap counter spells and like red cap melees and you know all all this stuff then you know you're you might be in trouble because you're you're relying on goldspan dragon more than a deck like gruel adventures or mono red that had goldspan dragon would um so that could be a problem for this deck but that said, you know, there's only so bad the deck like Goldspin Dragon is going to be. There's going to be games where you just, you know, play your goldsmith Dragon. They have a good, like a cheap removal spell for it. You negate it and they get to resolve a threat or something like that. But you've still gotten four damage in, you know, you're still trading resources in a deck with a good amount of card advantage between the adventure creatures, Shark Typhoon, Behold the Multiverse. Uh, so, you know, th- that, you know, there that can only be so bad. So I, I'm still pretty high on the deck. You know, we'll see how, how much it lasts. You know, it, it would certainly not be the first time a deck was really good on week one and faded away in the next couple weeks. Um, We've had it
0: a lot recently, actually. Yeah,
1: yeah the the deck, uh, it, it just looks, it's so cohesive to me. And I really, mm-hmm. I, I gravitate towards decks that, that are just, you know, very well put together. Uh, and that, that one fits the bill more than probably any other one I've seen over the, the previous season.
0: Hundred percent agree with you. I think if you're starting like a litmus test right now, like a gauntlet for standard, this is the first deck you like. This is the deck you have to. If you can't beat this, you probably shouldn't be playing your deck in standard right now because this is probably the deck you're going to be playing against the most, or some of the most, if you're playing competitive stuff. The Is deck is very good. It's probably the leanest deck of all the new decks to come out. Like it looks like it's built pretty correctly. Uh, so it's obviously going to have a little bit of an advantage or something there. I did kind of want to move on to the second place list, Ross, because I liked it a lot, and it's kind of a, a new take on an established archetype that I like a lot, because it's Teamer Adventures kind of. Like, it doesn't have a lot of the creatures in it. Originally, I thought it didn't have Beanstalk Giant in it, but they have it under Sorcery for some reason, which makes sense. But other than that, there's not a lot of creatures in this deck, right? Like, there's Beanstalk Giant, and there's Goldspan Dragon, which is kind of cool, and there's, like, some new cards in here. But you're looking at it, like, it, it has a lot of spells in it, so this is more of a... Uh, Genesis Ultimatum deck with Ugin and Shark Typhoon, and it's trying to win with those. So, like, this is a deck that is actually trying to get Shark Typhoon into play and, like, do something like that, or just cycle a giant Shark Typhoon, because you're looking at Mystical Disputes being uh, main, Jawari Disruption is main, into the Royal is main four Fire Prophecies, like, just a lot of spells that are cycling through your deck, right? Like, Into the World draws a card, Fire Prophecy draws a card, Drawers disruptions into a land plus a spell, Mystical Dispute just a good counter spell, and you're looking at your lands being spells, too, so, this is a deck that's trying to either get Ugin into play and win on the back of that, or get Shark Typhoon into play and win on the back of that and survive while doing that, you know, ramping up with Beanstalk Giant and Cultivate and stuff like that, so, very simple plan here, very simple deck, but it got all the way to second place, and I gotta say, I, I like the look of this. It's even got, you know, a couple of new cards, and you got the new Pathway, you've got gold it's even got a Seize the Spoils, a card that I said to be on the lookout for it being possibly showing up in some of these decks, because it, it's pretty cool the fact that this can act act as, like, almost like Cultivate number five in some spots, where, like, on turn three, you cast Seize the Spoils, you, like, discard a card you don't need, you draw some extra cards, but you get that treasure, so you get that kind of that ramp for one turn. It fixes some colors for Genesis Ultimatum that you want, but it also is just more cards too. And that's something that this deck, you know, can need and want at a lot of points.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, this to me is just someone who said, you know what, Brazen Bar and Bone Cursor Giant are not cutting it. And instead, I'm going to play Fire Prophecy. You know, kill. it's a little bit more flexible of a removal spell. You know, lets me dig towards my my big cards more reliably. I don't really care about the 4-3 body. My deck is built, you know, around casting big spells. So if I'm not casting Genesis Ultimatum and Ugin, I'm not winning. Uh, you know, I don't need the marginal value. So give me the removal spell that kills a few more things and digs me, you know, closer to those big spells. Drawry Disruption, a nice little, you know, or, uh you know turn two play to play just keep decks off balance um this, this is a card i've i've always liked uh because it's such a high value card when you get it to work and when it, you you're confident it's not going to work it's still just going to be a land so it re- it removes the low floor that four spike effects typically have soft counter spells typically have you know they, they get dead late in the game uh and even though you know lands are usually kind of dead late in the game this is a ramp deck you, you want land seven eight nine you know, to be casting these big spells. Um, so a, a cool way to go with Team ramp. I think there, there's, you know, there's a lot of options. We've seen the the same basic core is like, you know, Shark Typhoon because there's a lot of counter spells around. So you want that as one of your threats. You want Genesis Ultimatum, Cultivate, Beanstalk Giant. You need some number of Ugins, and then you can kind of do what you want with the disruption package, and you've got a lot of options. Most people opt for the adventure creatures. They went in a different direction, both successful. So it shows you that the, the core there is powerful, and you're going to be able to tune your deck to the expected metagame, game, play whatever disruption you think matches up best against what uh, you know your opponents are playing that weekend.
0: Mm-hmm. And I've kind of been slow rolling you this entire time on what decks we wanted to talk about, because there's a deck that I was the most ex- excited to talk about. In the deck that I liked the most coming out this weekend. And I'm not saying it's the best one, uh, but this is the deck that I got the most excited by seeing. I might have been a little physically excited uh, looking at this deck and looking over the deck list. And that's the third place list from this. Um and and just to kind of let everybody know at home where this list is coming from, it's got 24 snow-covered islands in it. That's right, 24.
1: This is another deck that I I, I built a list very similar to this. You know, that same article last week that had an Is a deck in it that's similar to LSV's. I had a Mono Blue Snow deck that I thought was, you know, kind of cool. Their list is land heavy, more land heavy than mine. I had twenty six; they have twenty eight, with the four Faceless Haven and twenty four Islands. Um, so interesting that they went that land heavy. I think that might make that makes some sense when you're playing Kasima. and this is a deck that also takes good advantage of the Omen Keel because there's a lot of cheap creatures that crew between Frost Auger and Ascendant Spirit uh, and Brazenbar even. Um, but I was finding, I was finding the Cosima side to be like kind of mediocre. And that might be due to the fact that like, I just need to play more Lance. Like, you know, between Shark Typhoon and, and Saven and Ascended Spirit and Gadwick, this is another deck that has plenty of ways to use its mana. Just play more Lance. Um, the other thing this list is doing that I wasn't is Icebreaker Kraken. I think this card is just a good, this is just a good magic card, particularly against the green decks. And I was struggling against aggro with my list. I think moving, I had Krakens in the board, but I think moving them to the main, uh, just two here, I had two in the board. Uh, easy swap, I had Grave and Lore in the main, they have it in the board. So just a little bit more prepared for aggro game one, uh, while still having the ability to bring in the lores against, you know, control decks. Uh, I think that's a, a smart swap.
0: Uh, and so I wanted to read, this is actually Callan Bestor. Uh, very oh, talented magician. Yeah, I love his, de- his deck building. I think so do I. think he's
1: very, very, very smart. I
0: think he's just great. I follow him on Twitter just for his deck list and stuff. It's great. So um, I'm going to read to you a couple of his thoughts. He said that he built the deck right before the event, so he missed stuff like Disdainful Stroke existing. He did not <laughs> know that card existed. So he's like, that should definitely be somewhere in the list. Uh, he says the Snow 1-drops are very good, because you're looking at 8-1-drops, right? You're looking at Frost auger and you're looking at Ascended Spirit. Um, I have played decks of multiple Frost Augers in them and this many hits, and it's very, very, very good. Like, yeah, I, I, it's, I like, agree. It's like Scrying Sheets was back in the day. You know, yes, it can be Shocked or whatever, but so can a bunch of the other cards or whatever. So, so that's very good. Um, Faceless Haven was good uh, as well. Uh, he says Camino was kind of meh. And so was great shark so he recommends maybe t- trying with or without those uh cards which it kind of hurts my heart not to play great shark in this deck because i'm I, that kind of effect is just a, a i'm just a big fan of um he said 28 mans lands was probably too many you should probably go 26 or 27 uh lands from there too so a lot of your a lot of your in- inclinations are like a lot of your initial thoughts looking in the deck are kind of right and he's saying that like maybe you should you should cut a card or two I'm not saying to move this card from the sideboard to move, but to and to move it main, but I will say this. A couple of my friends have been playing with Graven Lore in this deck and in the uh, they've had it in the blue-red deck, and they will say this. If, if your deck is just, you know, mono snow cover lands and, like, you're scrying three or four every time you cast Graven Lore, that it is very, very, very good. It is like the new Sphinx's revelation. It's going to decimate a game.
1: Yeah, no, I, I was impressed with it when I was casting it. I think, um, you know... Uh... It's definitely just... It's a powerful card. It should be somewhere in the 75. I wouldn't be surprised if main deck it makes sense. Um, interesting that even at 28 lands, uh, Kellan found Kasima awkward. I, I kind of... You know, I'm not that surprised, to be honest. As I said earlier with Teamer, when Kasima was in the Teemer ramp deck, I've generally found kasima impressive when I'm putting multiple lands onto the battlefield in one turn. And when I'm not doing that, it's pretty slow. Because then, like, you got to play it on turn three, got to exile it on turn four, play a land, then it's sitting in exile because you put a counter on it with that first trigger. Then on turn five, you're playing a land drop, hopefully returning it to the battlefield as a 3-5 and you're drawing a card. So it's a, a three mana 2-4 for one turn and then two turns later, you get a battle growth and a card. And that's if you hit your land drops, if the 2-4 lives, like, you know, a lot of ifs there and not a huge payoff. Um, I, I I'm i kind of wondering, and I, I, I would want to try that before writing off Kasima entirely, is what if you just put four Fable Passage in this deck? You know? Maybe there's some games where you draw multiples and, like, it, it, you have a tap land early that you wouldn't have. But what about the games where you—I think the games where you get to go play Casima on three, next turn, exile it, Fable Passage, Sacrifice, return immediately with a counter as a 3-5. Is, is that worth having Fable Passage in your deck? Because I think it might be. I think being able to do all that in one turn is a huge jump in that card's power level.
0: I think it's definitely something to think about, right? Like, it's, it's definitely intriguing— Four might be a lot to start with, especially if you're not playing four Kasmina, obviously, you know, but if you're playing four Kasmina, then that's something to consider. Maybe you want something more wrong with like the two to three uh, card because like not having that many sources of blue for your opening hand is kind of rough sometimes, too, because you want to make sure that like, you know, you just have multiple blue sources in your opening hand for turn two and three so you can play spells. But like maybe it's not something that that's actually going to be a problem, but I think it's something that you have to play with and try out. Um. I will say this, I know that Nasif streamed this deck quite a bit today and he said that he had come to the, you know, a couple of the same things where he went up to, uh, I mean, sorry, he went down to three Kasmina and changed a few things up. He had put in two Graven Lores main, but here's like one of the main changes that he made. He went down to like one Icebreaker Crack and, you know, most of the decks are probably the same, but he had two Alruns Epiphany in this deck. And that's something that oh. that I can, and Russ's eyes just got real big. And that's something that I could be into too, because like you're, you're kind of a tempo deck with counter spells, right? And so like you can you can navigate a game into a spot where when you cast that card, it's backbreaking for your opponent because like either you kill them on the extra turn or you get so far ahead on you get far enough ahead with your creatures and stuff. And like on board that one counter spell or one, you know, whatever behind this is going to be enough to stop your opponent.
1: Yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. Like I agree. Like it fits perfectly into the strategy of the deck, where like you you're disruptive deck early, but you're able to get the you're able to get a little bit ahead with that first one drop, right? So that every turn your opponent stumbles or like doesn't force you to interact. You're either drawing cards with uh, Frost Auger or you're leveling Ascendant Spirit and pressing your advantage that way. And that's that's like the core advantage that this deck has, where you have these powerful one mana threats at all your lands enter untapped, so you just like don't have those early stumbles. And the rest of the deck is trying to just kind of press that advantage and open it up a little bit wider, a little bit wider. You know, maybe there's a turn where you're able to essence scatter their four drop and then you level your Ascendant Spirit for two right so you've you know traded for their turn and leveled your spirit and then you you know counter again uh, a spell cheaply or bounce it with next turn like they play a creature you brazen borrower petty theft it and play borrower now you've got a three one flyer and you've undone their turn so you're just like you know every turn getting a little bit further ahead and then the card that shuts the door is all runs epiphany but it, it is also a card that plays well with Casima because if you you exile it in the first turn play a land get a counter on it take another turn then you could bring it back before your opponent has had the chance to take another turn so they never get a turn with it off uh enti- off the battlefield. Um I I agree like I'm I'm I want to trim down on Casimas. I think that's a two or three of uh but epiphany helps that card a lot. It's another it's a similar card to Icebreaker Kraken. So if you went down to like one Kraken because you're putting in epiphany that makes sense to me because Kraken is just a good cl- closing card against aggro. I still want I definitely want access to Kraken especially because you can kind of dig for it with the Frost Augurs. Because that's a, just a good stabilizing card against aggro. I'm 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 low on great Shark, so I agree there. I, I'm basically in agreement on everything. I want to adjust the counterspell suite. I think like full four essence scatter is probably too high on that card, as even though I do think it's good. And and um, but I want you know i I think I want to see some disdainful strokes in the main. I think that card is just really well positioned. Um, and maybe a negate main, just because I I fucking love me a negate. Um, I could definitely see graven Lores in the main, especially if we go down to twenty seven or twenty six lands. But, yeah, this is another deck that I'm definitely going to be working on. Already had my eye on it. Um, And uh, glad to see some other people working on it as well.
0: Yep. Uh, Another thing I'm glad to see is another monocolor deck making it into this top eight. And another really cool, interesting uh, take on a new deck. And that is like mono white control or whatever going into fifth place here. I, I just call it mono white control because I don't know what else to, to call this, but <laughs> yeah. really cool, innovative deck, really cool, innovative deck here, you know, tops out at Ugin, but I'm seeing a lot of other stuff like you have Undo inversion here, you know, the, the land that also destroys all yeah. it's, you know, uh, what's, what's the name of the card originally? It's like a six mana spell uh, Planar uh, cleansing, Planar cleansing. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a Planar cleansing. So you're seeing stuff there. You have a couple ways around that, you know, you have, uh, you have two uh, Skyclave Relics in this deck. So like an indestructible way to kind of ramp your mana is another good mana sink. You know, you can make a couple copies of this with Kicker. Looking at, like Maze Mind, Tome. It, it feels like the mono-red mid-range deck that we had uh, last season. You know, you've got uh Solemn and some in here. You've got Skyclave Apparition, uh, Elspeth, Conquers Death, Birthplace of Melitus. You know, a lot of cool things to do in here with that. You're seeing a lot of creature lands in this deck. You have Castle Arvindale kind of counts as one, but you have Crawling Barrens. And you have uh Faceless Haven, since it's a monocolored deck, you know. I understand not playing four Faceless Haven in this version because you have a lot of lands to tap for colorless this way. Uh lots of cool stuff going on here, but it's got a couple of new cards that I think are very powerful. And that's Doomscar and Starn Him Unleashed. You know, it's kind of like your uh it's kind of like your what is it, Entreat the Angels type card uh here. Not as good, but still very, very powerful. And then it's got a sweet one here for kind of like a bullet package because there's a there's a few things in here it's got two search for glory and this is a snow sorcery for two and a white that lets you search your library for a snow permanent card a legendary card or a saga card and you reveal it and put it in your hand uh, you gain one life for each snow spent on this so you can gain a little bit of life here but lots of you know cool stuff that you can kind of wish for here uh, legendary cards are planeswalkers too so you can go find a planeswalker or something like that and it, you know it gives you uh It gives you some more copies of cards like Ugin, Elspeth Conqueror's Death, and stuff like that in your deck. So it's kind of like a little bit of a toolbox. There's some more stuff in the sideboard that you can go find. Um, There's a cool, cheeky one of Legion Angel in this deck. And it has three more in the sideboard. If you don't know what Legion Angel is, it's a card that's a 4-3 flyer for four mana. But when it comes into play, you can reveal cards named Legion Angel from outside of the game and put it in your hand. So you can kind of just chain them together. It's kind of like... um, squadron hawk was back in the day but you don't need to put them in your deck the card is in your sideboard so you can go find another one and stuff like that this is an interesting deck uh you know fifth place is a pretty good showing for a deck that when you look at it on paper looks kind of weird and like maybe yeah, this not deck is super wild. powerful in ways yeah this deck is wild but i'm telling you this right now it's making me feel things for us
1: yeah and uh i actually the other day i was looking through arena results and you saw a lot of this deck in like doing well in like 40-50 person tournaments that happened over the weekend on Arena, like that's th- this was sort of a sort of a breakout deck there, and we see it cross over into the MTGO realm. Um, you know, this is this deck I bet is quite good against creatures. You know, so many powerful sweepers. There's so much card advantage here. You know, like you normally don't think of white as the card advantage color. But all the sweepers can generate card advantage. Amiria's call generates two angels. Starnham Unleash can generate multiple angels. Maze Mind Tome generates card advantage. Skyclave Relic could even generate like multiple, you know, uh uh, Skyclave Apparition can be a two for one. Solemn Simulacrum can be a three for one. Uh, you know, Birth of Militis is an 0-4 wall and a land. Elspeth Conqueror's Death can be a two-for-one. You have so many ways to use your mana late in the game, because a lot of your lands are spells, so you don't flood that way. You have Maze Mind Tome to sink mana into, Legion Angel to sink mana into, you have Starnham Unleashed to sink mana into, and then you have five creature lands between Faceless Haven and Crawling Barons and Castle Arden so seven utility lands, eight double face cards that are lands, So really only 13 lands that all they do is tap for mana. Three of them are radiant, found, so they even gain a little bit of life against aggro. Uh, But also a deck that can easily cast eight mana spells because you have so many cards that can be lands when you want them to be. Um, So I bet this is a deck that plays out better than it looks on paper because it looks kind of wonky. I think it's going to be pretty good against creatures. I bet this deck obliterates mono-green food. Like, obliterates them. Um, I am very worried about it against counter spells. Because you're just tapping out for really expensive cards all the time, the the utility lands are nice, but I'm not sure they're enough to to do it. You don't have a ton of much of a clock, like you're really only threatening early play to get underneath their counter wall is Maze Mind Tome. Other than that, you're giving them plenty of time to set up. Rogues gets a couple turns to cast their rogue, start milling you to set set up their cards. You know, so I'd be worried about this deck in those blue matchups. I think outside of that, this deck can compete. Like. You, no, normally you think of Yorin as like the the king of mid-range mirrors i bet this is the kind of deck that can compete with yorian decks like just go p- toe for toe toe to toe fight pound for pound with them and come out ahead uh, and you'd be surprised that it does that sort of the way that like the the mono white martyr decks are surprisingly good at grinding in modern um especially with people that like know all the know all the tricks um but I, i'm very worried about this deck against blue blue cards so this to me is a strictly a metagame call if i think the metagame is going to be very creature heavy this is this is going to be good otherwise i would uh you know leave it at home
0: this might be a really good like fnm type deck or something like that you know depending on you know who and what you play against but i like it it looks really cool uh you know i'd have to play with it a little bit you know make sure i want to you know fool around with some of the numbers here but it's got some sweet ones, and it's got some real hits in the sideboards as well. Giant Killer, we talked about how good that is, and some matchups and stuff like that. So a lot of really cool cards. It's got a, Hel- a Heliod's Intervention, a card that I think can be really good in certain matchups. Even got Bane Slayer Angel making you know an appearance again. In standard, it's been a while there, but you are getting to kind of you know utilize some of the most powerful cards in the format with you know Elspeth Conquers Death and Ugin, and then just trying to get there. So like that, I think that's the main plan of the deck.
1: I'm, I'm mostly happy to see white cards. White card's doing well. White white takes a lot of flack, so happy to see white doing well. I'd like to talk about just the uh, the, the rest of this top eight. So the the sixth place list in particular is an Abzan Party deck. This is literally I, I wrote an article with four decks that I was impressed with on versus live and updated versions of them based on what I had learned over that you know those couple weeks. And it was you know is it Goldspan Dragon mid range mono blue snow Abzan Party and a John sacrifice deck. Uh, I didn't really see any sort of John deck in the, the same vein, but the other three all showed up this this past weekend. You know, not exactly the list that I had, but all very close, like all within ten cards. Um, so you know, I'm just gonna pat myself on the back a little bit. Um, but I've been really happy with the party decks. Give, give yourself I, another pat for me. Yeah, <laughs> oh, take, take one for me. Too. Thank you, thank you. I think uh, people have caught on to the That the key to unlocking party decks is Jespera Sentinel. You know, this, it's a Loam Dryad that's a Rogue, but being another one-drop, so you can lower your curve even further, being mana-fixing for a deck who's mana base isn't great because for some reason they made base camp enter tapped because I fucking hate Watsi. Why would you do that? And, you know, be it Rogue was one of the tougher, you know, creature types to fill out. Um, you know, it just did everything that you needed to do. And the, these party decks just need to get, you know, get down quickly. I love that they're playing four Coveted Prize. My list had three. I think I was wrong. I want to go up to four. I don't know why they're only playing one Squad Commander. I don't like. It. I get that. Like you want to diversify your fours. I love the one binding the old gods. I had that as a you know your coveted prize can be a, a removal spell for any permanent. Uh, but Squad Commander to me is the most powerful party payoff. Casting it normally and just getting three one ones is perfectly fine. Anytime you trigger it, it's utterly absurd. Like it just game winning. I'm not. I'm sup- really surprised to see four copies of Tazri. Like this to me is just like a mediocre creature. Like, yeah, a 3-mana 4-6 is, like, pretty cool, but honestly not great uh, if you're building your entire deck around Party. So I would be trimming on Tazri, increasing Squad Commander. The other thing that I missed was I just didn't main deck Mast Vandal. I had them in the sideboard. I should have just had some in the main instead of some of the Acquisitions Experts. That's what we see here, four copies of it. So that between it and Tiju or Paragon, you have eight creatures that count as any of your four-party creature types. So uh, love that they did that. Um, I, that's definitely, I'm not sure if I'll go to four mass Vandal main, but like, you know, at least two or three, four is a strong consideration. Um, I don't see the other cleric. Like they have, they have elder fang disciple because they're playing herald King of skemfar, So they got a little bit of the elf thing going on, you know, wilder trackers and elf sentinels and elf, but like, you're not finding any really powerful cards off herald, So I'm not sure how good that one is, but it does help you dig towards like different creature types that you might need to assemble the party. Um, I was playing the Malicure blood priest. The two mana two one vampire cleric that drains them for your party. I think in a deck like this, you really want access to, to some sort of reach. Uh because you like you're almost all creatures, and sometimes your opponent's just gonna have the battlefield on lockdown and you need to finish the game. You know, even like two of them, you can coveted prize for them. So like you have additional copies. I think just having access to that card is important. Um interestingly, they are pl- their their mana base looks weird, and I was trying to figure out why. And you see that in the sideboard. They have one copy of Showdown of the Scalds. So they're splashing red for this. I've got a couple red sources between different pathways and a Ketria Triome. Um, but mainly it's just a tutor target for Coveted Price when I mean, you want to draw a bunch of cards. I know um, Sam Black had been working on an Elf, an Elf Party deck that was for Coveted prize and had a pretty big tutor package with it. And he had a uh, you see a Toski in this deck sideboard. Sam had that in the main. He had a Showdown of the Skulls in the main. He had some red creature that costs four and like deals X damage to a creature where X is the number of creatures in your party. So like a Flame tankavu effect, which I, I thought was kind of neat. Uh, but he was more elf focused. Personally, I, I don't want to go elf focused. I want to just be playing the best creatures I can that fit the party theme. Because to me, the, the the real payoffs are Archpriest of Iona, Squad Commander, and Coveted Prize. Those those are the best party payoffs. The other ones are like window dressing, Acquisition Expert, and Malakir Blood Priest. You're honestly playing them, like, more for their creature types. Uh, But those three are the, are the real true party payoffs. But I, I expect party decks to be pretty good. I, th- I think they're finally, you know, over the hump. Jasper Sentinel really is awesome in them. Um And excited to see this one here.
0: Absolutely. I, I saw this deck list I, If I knew immediately. I was like, Ross is going to want to talk about this one. And he's going to want to just validate himself. I love it. So... Uh, the seventh place list was an interesting one. It's another Yorion deck with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with but with a little bit of a Jeskai tint to it. This this some, is Corey's uh, deck. S- some cool stuff. Yeah, this is Cor- Corey's deck. Yeah, Corey, Corey, sorry, Corey built it. it. He's been yeah. talking
1: about it and playing with it. Uh, he did like some, some Bash Bros tournament, I think, or some, some tournament on Arena. He, he went 4-2 and finished like 12th or something. Um, but he's been having success with it on the ladder. Uh, another All Runs Epiphany deck. So you have four copies here. That's the big one, he, uh, you know, really cool when you got the yorian loops going on like the yorian loops are kind of like a planeswalker you're generating card advantage every turn and alrin's epiphany really turns it around i saw him do some dirty stuff where like he was really far behind and just alrin's epiphany caught him up because he was drawing multiple cards he had like narset at play you know he got to the ecd third chapter faster than his opponent expected and like he would go he would do things like uh you know, his Yorian had died, because he had to, like, chump luck with it. His opponent's like, he's at, like, two. His opponent's going to kill him as, like, you know, a million permanents. And he's like, okay, uh, you know, my ECD's on two now. Uh, play my All Runs Epiphany. Next turn, I'll, like, bring back Yorian, blink some stuff, play another Epiphany. I've things. drawn yeah. six cards in that time frame. Find a third one. Play a third Epiphany. Okay, you're dead because I attacked you for seven in the air every turn. And it yeah. just out of nowhere. So, the, uh, you know, that's... That this is the deck that made me realize the power of Epiphany. I'm really excited to try it in that Mono Blue deck. But to me, that this is could be the premier Yorian deck of the format. I like Abzan Yorian with In Search of Greatness too and Binding the Old Gods. Uh, I think that that's a strong way to go. But this might be better just because Omen of the Sea is so good. Like I, I don't I don't know maybe you can go four colors like Abzan Splash Omen of the Sea. But you know Omen of the Sea is just so important in these Yorian decks. So I can I can see Jeskai just being better. Almost exclusively for that reason, but also the power of all epiphany. And, and Showdown of the Skalds.
0: Yeah, was there anything else you wanted to talk about in these uh with these decks?
1: I th- I think we covered most everything. Like th- there are some, you know, interesting decks further down, but for the most part it's like, you know, Goldspear Dragon, Big Winner, Showdown of the Scalds, you know, showing up in a ton of different archetypes. I expect some of them to stick around, some to fall away. You know, party decks look pretty good as far as aggro goes. It- it's basically party aggro or monocolored snow aggro with uh uh, faceless Haven. Like you can be mono red, you can be mono green, you can be mono white. You know, the mono blue deck is kind of aggressive but more controlling. But also, so a lot of mono colored snow decks, uh, you know, Abzan party decks, uh, some, you know, updated old decks. We saw mono green food. We saw, uh, we've seen both Gruel Adventures and you see a little Naya Adventures where they're playing Giant Killer and Showdown of the Skalds and Shepherd of the Flock. Uh, but otherwise, you know, similar to Gruel. Um, and still seeing a little bit of rogues and then updated team of ramps. So a lot of the the archetypes from the old set, but we're also seeing the, you know, an influx of, of new decks. So honestly, when I look at standard right now, like that looks like there's eight or 10 viable decks, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, big fan. Um, I gotta say this, uh, I, you knew I was going to bring it up on the show. I've been a very big fan of this limited format. When I say big fan, I think that this one is going to be high up on the list for a lot of people of, you know, favorite limited formats of all time. Um, I'm trying to put into words what I'm learning about this format and it's hard to do because the format is so strange, but I think one of the easiest ways I can do it. And, uh, you know, if you ever want to sit in on some drafts or like watch me stream or something, you'll get it is it feels a lot like cube in the fact that you have like some established archetypes, right? Like red, blue giants is good. You know, like some of like the the two color decks, they're good, right? Like you, you see some cards that work together and you want to yeah. do that. But
1: They have a theme that's, you know, exemplified by the fence post uncommon of their color pair.
0: Until people really start to catch on, and it, I think it, it'll flush the format a little bit, and you'll be you'll see more like two and three color decks normally. I've been having a lot of success with four and five color decks in this format, and the mana has just not been an issue, like ever. There's a lot of fixing in green, so you're like five color green snow, and you're just taking all the dual lands and stuff, and you're, you're playing all of them. You'll be like a turn behind in some games because, you know, a lot of your lands come into play tapped. But it generally doesn't matter because your decks are just so much more powerful than your opponents because you're just taking all of the good cards, right? You're just like, oh, that's the best card in the pack. I'll take it. It's the best card in the pack. I'll take it. It's the best card in the pack. I'll take it, right? And there's like, you know, some uncommons and commons that you need that are specific that fix your mana. But if you get them, they're very, very good. Uh, my, My win rate isn't as high as I want it to be from here, but I've also been kind of memeing in a few drafts. Also, like I've had some decks that have done way better than I thought they would. I've had some decks do way worse than I thought they would. Um, I think one of the highlights uh, so far is, do you know what Replicating Ring is?
1: This is the Manalith that eight turns later becomes eight Manaliths?
0: Yeah. So I have this higher on my pick order than I think a lot of people because um, A, it's really good in the four and five color snow decks, right? Like, it's obviously it's mana fixing, um, it's also a snow permanent and it makes snow mana, which matters a good bit. And a lot of the five colors of I like I like a lot of the, the snow like like frostbite's a good card because it's you know it's a shock or a bolt very early in the game to kind of keep your keep you, you know, keep people from beating you down, and it's very important.
1: Really nice to cast after your replicating ring on turn three.
0: My favorite play that I've had so far in this limited format, though, is I got to fully replicate the rings. So I had you know eight of them in play with I think I don't think I missed a land drop, so they had like ten lands in play or something like that. I had a star him and unleashed. Uh, foretold so i just got to put like 24 power into play or whatever the math is for it <laughs> my opponent's like all right that is good enough to <laughs> yeah. win the game
1: and you're was your opponent <laughs> playing white cards could they have had doom scar or is it cards to have there's, battle of frost and fire
0: well there's there's also a black card as well there's blood on the snow and i've oh, been yeah. playing against and with that card quite a bit because it's just a rare that card is unreal by the way um so some cards have definitely overperformed in the format quite a bit. Uh, like red, black aggro is actually pretty good along with red, white aggro. There is a, I can't remember the name, but there's an equipment in the set that's like one red mana and it gives your creature a plus one, plus one, and then when it becomes blocked, it deals one to that player or whatever. And then it's just like one to equip or whatever. That card's actually just been like unreal in a lot of the games because it's so cheap and effective and like being yeah, aggressive. Yeah, it just makes combat really um, difficult. Yeah. The, the four tail cards have just been great. Like, you know, the ones that we talked about being pillars of the format, the green one, which draws a card, like, I just don't pass that card. Uh, you know, the blue one being a flyer has been great. Even the three six vigilance card has been good because it's so big. I think white is my least drafted color so far in this set. Um, but I, I don't think that's, like, that bad. I think I think the color is actually quite good. It's just most of my decks are going to be green, blue, and green, blue, black based in the the, the color zone because that's where you get, like, a lot of the payoffs. And stuff. So that's where it kind of go. Um, Behold the Multiverse. Did we really need to make this card a common? That's actually <laughs> been quite annoying in the set. I have a deck with like four and five copies of it. And it's really good, especially when you have like any payoff for foretelling. For so I've had some really cool stuff there. I've been trying the gimmicky decks in the format, you know, like the, the full on foretell decks and it's been fine, but you could beat down quite a bit. The runs have been a little bit disappointing to me. You know, there's like a little run cycle, but I haven't had any of like the real ways to abuse them yet. So like, I'm kind of looking forward to, there's like an equipment and a creature that are both very good with them. that like searches them out of your deck. Cause I've like cool, cool card advantage and stuff. So stuff like that. So I'm really excited. I'm still getting through some of the rares. Some stuff was like not as good as I thought it'd be. Some stuff's a lot better. Uh, I've been streaming most of my drafts and having a ton of fun with it. So I'm enjoying the format quite a lot. And as long as it stays fresh, you know, like, you know, formats stale on you pretty quick. You know, if you feel like you've you figured them out or whatever, like Zendikar staled on me quite a bit or whatever, besides the, the the gameplay being a little more intricate than most games, because it was one of the first ones where, like, you had to really think about which creatures you're trading and, like, in the order you played them in because party mattered more than you thought. You know what I mean? Like, little things. Like, I remember being, like, Oh like they think I'm going to trade here but I'm actually going to trade here because I want to get a cleric off the board because like it's possible they might have you know this 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 and this and it, this all makes it better and like three turns later you see that come up where like they play this like their removal spells is, is is one mana more expensive because they don't have a cleric in play anymore. You know what I mean like little things, right? Yeah. And stuff. So uh, I've definitely made a bunch of mistakes in this format from not knowing how cards work, <laughs> uh, or how confusing they are. Like there's a there's a blue black saga in this in this format that like exchanges control of things, and that card has been either utter dog shit or like the best card ever printed, or like it's just been so confusing. I don't know how it even works, and my opponents have been whatever. Um, there's a ravenous rats in this format that has actually been really good.
1: Tra- chapter one exchanges creatures. Yeah. Chapter two extreme- exchanges any non-land, yeah. non-creature permanents that share a type. So two enchantments, two artifacts, things like that. Two planeswalkers.
0: It's also non-basic. Yeah. No, it says not. Yeah. Or basic lands. Yeah, you it's not. Yeah, it says non basic, land. lands.
1: Yes, and uh, and then um, no, the says third not, chapter is basic. I think it d- says draining for three. Basic. So yeah, can it says non-basic, non-basic lands. Sure. Um. So. You know, that, that's how it works. I got obliterated by that card. Uh, Corey was playing an Esper Doom deck with it, and I was playing a Teamer Giants Ramp deck. And he was just taking my Beanstalk Giants and giving me like Skyclave Apparitions and O4 Balls from Birth of Miletus. And I just looked at all of my answers, and they were all the giant cards that don't affect giants. And I was like, well, if my opponent has Giants, I just can't do anything about them. And I, like, looked at Cyclone Summoner, and I was like, oh, I can bounce all of his Sagas so he could reuse them and not bounce the Beanstalk Giant back to my head. This sucks. <laughs> That's
0: actually, like, one of the biggest disappointments I've had so far is I had, like, the Nuts Giant deck once, right? Like... I was the only person in blue blue and red. And I might have been the only person in blue and red and the only person in blue and red giants at the table, right? I had all the uncommons, like multiple copies of it. Like, um, what's the one you, you talk about, the sweeper one that deals four damage to the non-giants? It's uh, of ice and fire. Or whatever, Battle, or Battle like of frost and fire. Ba- Battle of frost and fire has like multiple of that, multiple of the other ones. Like, uh, There's a, there's a five-drop giant in the set. That's a four-four that taps a creature, but if you spend snow mana, it, it locks it for a turn. That card's been like, way overperforming it's very good i had like five of those like my deck was very very good right and i was like this should be a seven win deck and i played the mirror multiple times and i kept drawing all these cards that like you know non-giant non-giant and like my opponents were like we're on the play and just ahead of me and like i drew my sagas or like i would just like flood out i'm like
1: son of a <laughs> bitch like, you know it's like the like- worst giant deck is favored in the mirror because you have less of the cards that only affect non-giants
0: yeah. or like they just had fly- like a couple flyers in their deck you know and i'm just yeah. like shit like you know like i just like couldn't kill a flyer because i can't you know or whatever so uh interesting stuff like that so um i think the format's kind of great overall um don't let the traditional like don't be afraid to have a train wreck in this format i think is what the the like i remember uh i uh if you follow me on twitter i put a picture out of a deck and i was just like here's my latest seven win deck and it's like you know i have i have achieved Greatness, or whatever. I, you know, said some funny thing because when you look at my deck, it looks like the biggest pile you've ever seen. I was like drafting it on Discord of Brian Basoko, and he was like, What is going on? I was like, I don't know. I'll figure it out when we're playing the games. <laughs> and I just won a bunch of games. You know, my deck had some powerful cards in it, it had Blood on the Snow and the Star Him Unleashed card, or whatever. So, like, I think that's the biggest thing is that when you're playing these four and five color decks, you're going to have filler, you're going to have a lot of ways to, like, you know, Set up your mana, a lot of early plays to stay alive. You need to have the bombs. Like you have to have one or two cards that can win a game by themselves. Otherwise, you're probably not going to be able to keep up with some of the other cards in the deck. So, like, I find that that's that's my worst snow deck. So when like my cards are okay, but I don't have any like big, huge payoffs that are like ending the game. You know, yeah. I don't have anything that I'm moving towards. So because you're going to feel like a control deck kind of thing. So
1: that makes sense. Yeah. You know, that's, so, it, that's... Do you think
0: you're ever going to draft the format? No.
1: <laughs> I don't know why you just like are so off of limited. I mean, it's just not relevant to the tournaments I play and the content that I make. So like, I li- if I play limited, it like literally just has to be casual, and I like I just don't play Magic casually mm-hmm. because I play so I much gotcha, of it I gotcha. competitively and professionally. I-, I miss it. I like limited. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I just just it's not for me at this point. Other than a little bit of cube. All right.
0: Uh, let's get a few overrated, underrated out of the way, uh, so we don't have to
1: keep doing. Let's do let's do let's do five, and we'll try. I'll try to keep my remarks short,
0: unless there's a real long one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll see. Uh, all right, so the first one is from Massimo, and they say "sharking at minor events such as FNM and weekly leagues." I'm guessing this means just like showing up with the best deck possible. You're a good player, and you're just crushing it. Uh, I think it's okay. So, like. Here's the way that I always viewed it because, you know, we had stuff, you know, locally, like I would not play in FMs because I feel like that is, you know, kind of like the beginner levels. That's just me. I would just do something else on Friday night. There's nothing against it. If you want to do it, do it. But we would have like Wednesday night magic. Sometimes they would have like cash prizes or like big prizes. And I would go play in those a decent bit because like I wanted to get some testing in. I want to play some live magic. I want to play or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But when it all came down to it, I made sure to not ever overdo it. Especially if like my win rate was really really high because it's just not fun for other people. So I think you have to find like a good healthy uh, push and shove with it. But I think for the average person who's playing the the best deck, don't feel bad about it, man. Go win like that's your point. Especially if you're like paying an entry fee and there's actual prizes, try to win.
1: Yeah, that, like that aspect of it. Just you know, playing a tier one deck and playing to win is perfectly fine. So in that aspect, I would say underrated. But if you're talking about, like, getting really rules lawyer with people, like, that's that's where yeah, it, you draw the line exactly that. because that's just not what FNM is for. And the rules are, are now codified differently. Like, FNM is at, you know, a different rules enforcement level than competitive like tournaments. Negative one. Yeah. So it, and a lot of times if you're trying to do that at FNM, you're actually, like, you know, breaking rules in the IPG. So, um, you know... As long as you're treating the tournament casually and having a good time, you can play whatever the hell deck you want.
0: Uh, and like, yeah, that's that's actually a good point. I'll, I'll, I'll expound on it for like two seconds. Like, I can't tell you how many times, if like if I randomly am playing an FM or whatever, or like was that like where you know my opponent will do something, I'm like, D- are you sure you want to do that? You know, I'll, I'll explain it to him. But like, if you do it this way, like it's probably not, you know, I mean, not the whole like I'm walking them into a worse play, but I will be like, don't don't do your don't do that that way. That's not what you're trying to do. You know, like I'll try to adhere to the the spirit of the game, especially if they're like super new you know or yeah. casual like yeah, you, you don't want to you, wanna, you, grade you by intent. beat them into the dirt yeah you don't want to beat them into the dirt and make them not want to play the game anymore like that's not how you grow our game and that's a that's been a problem in our game for for a while now um next one Cathal says new year I'm going to let you go first
1: um overrated uh, agreed yeah like you know it's just a it's you know I don't mind going out on new years but it's not you know something I super look forward to by any means and there's always this like the, the, there's that whole like mythology built around the new year is like you know time to you know finally get my act together and like have my resolutions and do X thing that I've been telling myself for years to to start doing like you're never gonna like you know everyone knows like New Year's resolutions never stick it's all just nonsense you know that that stuff has to come from a different place it can't just come from oh it's the new year I sh- I'm supposed to do this like that that's that's not enough so. You know, all the things that the New Year is supposed to represent are all just bullshit. Overrated.
0: Yeah, uh, 100% overrated. One of the biggest things for me to add on to yours is almost every New Year's I've ever had, almost every one, I've had some, some decent ones. Like, I've had a couple, like, one where I spent in Europe where I was in, like, France. So I, was, I think I was in Paris for New Year's. I was obviously, like, pretty bomb or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, It's either here nor there. But overall, like, you always, like, everyone's like, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this. It's going to be, like, a, a great time. It's going to be super fun. It, it never it's always yeah. a letdown
1: you know i cannot for the life of me imagine why anyone would want to go to times square for new year's eve like they have to be there for hours on end they can't move people have to like strap urine bags to their legs and like pee through a fucking catheter like what the fuck is wrong with you why would you subject yourself to that you could just watch it on goddamn tv
0: my best friend did it uh my, my best friend He's he's a muggle he's like not a magic player uh, you know he's, he's got a wife like three kids uh, I love him to death you know I've known him since forever I've known his wife since second grade I've known him since like seventh or eighth grade we're, we're great friends they went one year and did it and he's like dude never it was awful he's like you can't he's like literally she was standing in front of me and he like had her, his arms around her to like you know kind of help stay warm even though like you're all packed in there and he's like you can't fucking move he's like we you know we were tired we were hungry we needed to pee we just I was like dude that sounds fucking awful like I would just never do that and it's like one of those things where you're like no you need
1: to do it to say
0: you did it or be able to, I'm like, no, no, I really don't. Yeah,
1: no, I do not. There's not even a payoff. Yeah, like you're just in a large crowd watching the ball. Like, what is what? There's no appeal and tons of reasons not to do it. It makes no sense.
0: You know, one of my favorite things to do, you know, one of my favorite things to do on New Year's Eve is sitting at home watching everybody else be idiots on TV. And when it gets to be about midnight, I pick up the bottle of champagne that I'm drinking out of by the bottle. It just you know tip the tv take a swig and then i go my old ass to bet yeah <laughs> you know that's what i exactly like kind of thing. get some good food uh chase says is mtg finance overrated or underrated i'm gonna go with overrated just because of like the bad end of it just gives it such a bad name it leaves such a sour taste in your mouth and there's certain parts of it that i super dislike and it almost always centers around the reserve list i'm not going to go into that or whatever but like I want you to understand something. Have you, like, just recently, Just have you seen the price of Wheel of Fortune or Gilded Drake or anything like that recently?
1: Wheel of Fortune spiked like 400 recently. I I heard that. Gilded Drake, I'm sure, is something similar. Gilded Drake's like 600. Yeah, it all, it's just none of it. It's all just bullshit. It's a lot, like, to
0: do with the the stock market and stuff. It's not even fucking real, people. It's made up. (laughs) I
1: don't give a flying fuck about MTG Finance. I really don't. Zero fucks given
0: you know how much money i would lose if they got rid of the the reserve list and, stuff, and i hope they do or whatever anyway uh next one from serpent wind says marxism
1: obviously underrated just massively underrated we don't we don't need a long rant from me on it but you know that's just that's just bait i'm not gonna take your bait obviously underrated next uh-
0: yeah, 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 yeah. We'll we'll make a whole hour show for you to do that if you want. Uh, Bradley says, when a sports franchise finally breaks a curse, example, like the Red Sox 2004, Cubs in 2016. I want to say massively underrated because by the average person who's probably like not indoctrinated into that sport, they're like, oh, I guess that's cool. But like, you have to understand when the Red Sox beat that curse in 2004, Obviously, leading up to it was pretty absurd, too. Like, what is possibly in, like, obviously, I'm going to say it's the best because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a baseball fan, but what might be the greatest playoff series ever played in the history of sports was played in that season. You know, the Red Sox coming back from down 3-0. No team has ever done that in baseball. No team has done it since. You know, they're the only one to ever do it. Down 3-0 to, to win the next four games to win. Um, same thing with the Cubs. You know, the Cubs hadn't won a World Series since I think it was, like, 1914 or 1916, like, literally. eight You know, we're talking about.
1: Just It was it was 1908. Yeah,
0: 1908, right? I think 1914 or 16 was the Red Sox. Yeah, the Red Sox, I think, was like the 14 or 16. You, know, you, had, like, you had the first the Bambino. I want you to understand what it meant for fans of these teams, for the fans in their cities. Like, you saw men openly weeping and, like, you know, hugging each other and, like, expressing love for each other, things like that. Like, the 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 sheer joy that comes of it. I will say this, the one overrated part of it, do you know what the death rate is on, like, the next week? In those but cities spike it is extremely high for for older people believe it or not they actually see a pretty big uptick in uh deaths because people have actually been holding on to try to watch the Red Sox for the Cubs. uh they actually see an uptick in it so it's a crazy little it's, little isn't uh, that a little romantic uh, like, player, like, but okay they I'm they could say, die happy
1: you know their life their life is complete
0: here's the real thing like you know you know partners are great and everything but like the Red Sox man like you know the Atlanta Braves, the Cubs, like that—that that shit's for real. Like you know what I mean? That—that's and they finally watch, loved you back. When
1: watch the ESPN Thirty for Thirty on the Red Sox series. It's called Four Days in October. It's very well done, and it's incredible. That's it. like I agree. That series—it's the greatest series in the history of sports. It's the greatest story I think in the history of sports. You know, like if it's the greatest comeback in the history of sports. Maybe I'm biased. I'm a Red Sox fan. You know, it's—it's it's up
0: there with like. Some of the, some of like the Olympic stuff, you know, like the miracle on ice and stuff, like just things like that. It's, it's an all timer.
1: Like, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And the Cubs, you know, that, that game seven in 2016 is one of the single best best games in the history and the history of baseball. So, you know, it, it's all awesome. And uh, so I was going to say properly rated, but I think you're right that it's still underrated because non-fans don't really understand.
0: How could you not be romantic about baseball,
1: Ross? But like, (laughs) they just use baseball as an example,
0: obviously, but I will say this, and you made me think about this, that game seven in two thousand sixteen between the Cubs and the Indians. To this day, probably the the best baseball game I've ever seen in my goddamn life, and it's two teams I couldn't have given a shit about. You know, I'm just watching it. Yeah, it's good baseball. It's the worst. I wanted to see the Cubs break the series. I mean, break the rec, Uh, break the curse and everything. But I I still remember a tweet that I put out in two thousand sixteen about that game where I was like, if if you only watched, because the, the whole series was great. The whole series was good, but I was like, if you only watched these games, especially these Game 7s, you would think baseball is the greatest sport on Earth, because the games were that damn good. You know, like, you see a role Chapman, like, give up that home run to, God, I literally just blanked on his name, but you see him give up that home run, and, like, you can see it on his face that, like, he was literally giving everything he had. He had nothing left in the tank. He got overused. Like, Madden put him in a position to fail, but, like, you could tell he was, like, about to break breakdown crying on the field and stuff like that. So, just, you, how could you not be romantic about baseball, Ross?
1: I, I said the Red Sox last World Series before '04 was 1912. It was, it was 1918. I, mean, I was I was mistaken. I remember it's yeah because they were it was 86 years. But the Cubs was 1908 to 2016. Theirs was 108 yeah. years. So I remember yeah. there was. They were that's 1908. What you're
0: saying. Think about that. It was a hundred. It was over a hundred years from the last time they had won a World Series. The, the Ottoman
1: Empire still existed in 1908. Yeah, like this is
0: this is unreal. S- same ballpark, by the way. That's that's a that's a great thing. So it's, a, it's a super cool thing, but. All right, Leo the Magic Man says Texas Hold'em. I'm gonna surprise everybody and say overrated. Don't play poker, kids. It's not good for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's just like fun. magic. I fi- I find poker a little tedious, so I can never play like super regularly. But it's I don't mind you know hanging out, having a few beers and playing for a couple hours, like, once a month.
0: It depends on what you want to do with it, obviously. But, oh, yeah. yeah the game's not, great. Play poker with your buddies and stuff. Don't think it's, don't watch Rounders and then decide that's what you want to do with your life. They're, yeah, you're not you need, supposed you to. You need a lot of education. You're not supposed to want to be like Edward Norton. Oh, definitely not. I fucking hate that character. But um, Which makes that movie so good that I have that kind of visceral response. I want you to understand this. If you want to treat Texas Hold'em as, like, a job or, like, a, you know, a means to an ends kind of thing, you pretty much have to get a PhD in it. Like you, you're the amount of time and effort that you need to be putting into studying and learning and perfecting your craft is like equivalent to being a doctoral student. Like yeah. it's all you will do. You will, you will, you will play for hours and hours a day after studying for hours and hours a day, you will eat, sleep and drink it. So just to scare you guys off, I think that's about enough for uh, for overrated underrated. So we've got a couple of men. We'll get, we'll get some more in. If you haven't checked out the last episode that went live, it was just a overrated underrated episode for uh for everybody at home uh it was about what like two hours ross i think
1: something like that yeah, i get solid it was at least it was over an hour and a half i think it was under two hours but it, it was in that range
0: we got a lot done we got through like multiple months of the stuff that we've been backed up on so yeah we're, we're into january uh, make sure that you get some more of these in here yeah, make sure that you hit uh, hey, we're into the new year, which is great. Make sure you catch up on some of that. And something else that you should probably be catching up on if you haven't lately is check out barrister and man that's the sponsor for our podcast. We'd really appreciate it. If you guys went over to their website that's barrister and man with two ends.com uh, and checked out their stuff a lot of cool stuff over there. Um, someone else was posting in here the other day that they got their, their, um, their package, their little barrister and man package and they got the uh, the shaving balm. And I, I cannot stress enough how great this stuff is. It's my skin is better. It's so much smoother after shaving, and there's none of that pesky aftershave, normal sting, you know, whatever you want to you call it, the little yeah. sharp R- intake razor that burn. happens after. None of the none of the home alone moment, you know, where he like slaps yeah. on his face and starts yelling. None of that. None of that anymore. But lots of really cool stuff going on there. If you're a big fan of uh, washing your hands, like you should be right now, a uh, great website to check out, a lot of uh, liquid and solid soaps. To be checking out over there. A lot of their cootie, I think it's cootie killer, I think is what they call it. That is
1: the hand soap, yeah. Personally, I would go with the Seville scent, but plenty of options for all of you out there.
0: Yeah. I got some lavender and stuff in there as well. Lots of really good scents. Uh, You're. Significant other will appreciate you smelling better. Uh, your skin will be better. You'll be healthier, and it's also handmade by a, no, a magic player. Like you can't get much better. Uh, lots of really good ingredients and stuff in there too. So yeah,
1: and be sure to use the uh, the code MTG Rants.
0: Yeah, code MTG Rants, fifteen uh, percent off. Make sure you check them out. That's Barrister and Man. Um, other than that, Ross, if people wanted to uh, hear more of your rants, where would they go?
1: Okay, first place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunteds. Best place to keep abreast of everything I am doing, content wise and magic wise. Good place to ask me questions. Then there's my written content on starseagames.com. Typically, those articles go up on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Or Tuesday, I mean, this week's is going up at Wednesday, though you, it'll probably be Wednesday by the time this goes up. We're recording this on a Monday evening. So, uh, you know, maybe Brent can get it out tomorrow, Tuesday night. Uh, so if, if that does happen, then you, you, uh, you won't be seeing my article until Wednesday morning this week. Just got moved to do to you know, I don't know. Cedric just told me he's moving me to Wednesday this week. So, <laughs> but normally Tuesdays are when my articles go up. Um, then there is my non-written content by which I mean versus live the web show. I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the SEG Twitch channel from one to 4 PM Tuesdays and Thursdays playing, you know, different sweet decks from whatever's relevant in tournament magic, having a great time, taking questions live from the audience. If you are unable to catch us live, however, you can find the VODs on the SCG YouTube channel. They go up the following day at 5 p.m. So it would be Wednesday and Friday instead of Tuesday and Thursday. And then there is my Twitch stream. I've not streamed in quite a bit. I'm working on getting that back online. If you follow me on Twitter, you will find out. But I promise you, that will happen soon. T- Tannen. Where can people find you? Soon, soon. I actually mean uh, it this time.
0: Find, I don't believe it. <laughs> All right, they can find me on Twitter at the and Grace. You can find me on Twitch under Just Tan and Grace. I've been pretty active there lately. I uh, had to, had a great stream today, even though we didn't win a lot. I got a got a host from Jeff Hukel and Myth- Mythic Mebo herself. So a lot of you know new faces showed up today. We're playing a lot of limited right now because I'm learning the set and I have a lot of fun with that. I am promising there's going to be some standard coming because especially after doing today's show, there's like three or four decks that I'm like, I actively want to play that yeah. deck. Is like one of them looks- mono blue snow? <laughs> yeah, I want to play the mono blue snow deck. I want to play the mono white snow deck. I want to play uh, the it deck. And I want to play the uh, teamer adventure one with like the weird spells main. You know, no bone crusher, no, no brazen bar. The, the straight teamer ramp. But yeah, make sure that you follow us on Twitter. It's Rants. Uh, on there. You can be... Uh, up to date on everything that's going on. A lot of cool retweets and random tweets going out from there. But always the show, as soon as it goes live, that's the first place that you can find it. B- besides getting you know updated on your Twitter stuff as well. We do have a Discord that is quite active. Make sure you check it out <clears throat> in there. If you go to our Twitter, we have a link for it. Otherwise message uh, Brent Wagner, our lovely editor, he'll get you the the uh, <clears throat> the link for the Discord there. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, the I'll say this. One of my favorite sections, the food section, they've been bringing it. There was like there was like a lull right after the the holidays, which is understandable. You know, everybody's like kind of off it and off of cooking and stuff. And like maybe they're all healthy and stuff, but like the last few days, especially like Chef Petro and a couple of the other people in there, they have been just bringing the fire lately. I, I keep messaging Chef. I'm like, yo, the day the day I'm like okay with COVID and everything and like traveling's okay, I'm flying to Detroit. I'm I'm going there. I'm visiting every one of his damn restaurants. And I'm gonna get fat, Ross. So you can meet me there if you want. If not, I'm sending you a picture of every damn thing I eat. Yeah, we also have, uh, I, I I would be remiss if I didn't thank our patrons, especially the people that have been there with us since day one. You know who you are and who, or who have been there with us as long as they've been listening to the show. We really, really appreciate every one of you that supports us financially. We also super appreciate every one of you that even if you don't, you know, supports financially. You're here. You're listening to the show. We really appreciate you. I get someone new in my chat every single time I stream. It's like, hey, man, listen to the show a lot. Glad to get to see one of your shows, uh, your, your streams. Keep it up. And you you have no idea how much that means to us. It, it makes the show easier to make, honestly. It keeps Ross and I going. Oh, it keeps me going. I don't know about Ross. I don't know what motivates him, honestly, besides beer. But it super motivates me. It makes me feel a lot better about what I'm doing it makes me care about what I'm doing just even that much more because we really do enjoy bringing this show uh, for y'all at home. So make sure you check out our uh, patronage on there. Lots of cool tiers where you get some you cool stuff. You get some you get some sections of the discords that are made specifically for you. You get to ask questions on air if you want. And we'll ask them on here. You're also going to get special shows every now and then. And I know I've been I know I've been teasing it quite a bit, but it's still we're doing the final tweaks on it. But we physically had one of it in our hands. We have a surprise coming to some of our uh Patrons that have been around for quite a while. We've been saving up a little bit of money for you guys to do some cool stuff for y'all. And I got to say this every person that I've shown it to, uh, like Ross has seen it. Uh, Brent has obviously seen it because it's kind of his brainchild. Todd Anderson saw it. And you know how he can be about stuff? He's like, dude, that's pretty sweet.
1: Todd will tell you how it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. T- Todd tells you the truth. He'd be like, dude, that's fucking ugly or whatever. But he's like, bro, that's kind of sweet or whatever. So we might have to get him an honorary one too. But uh, yeah. Because, you know, he's been on the show enough that he might be, he might be, uh, he might be up for getting one of those at some point but anyway thanks for listening this week and we'll see y'all next week with uh, probably some more new stuff on standard I gotta say I I think standard's gonna change a lot over the next week so I'm I'm interested to see what's gonna be happening but thanks for listening this week and we'll see y'all next week